to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play, right. play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing good. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, talking about basketball. Finally, after talking about football, college and pro week after week after week, and not talking about the election or anything like that. Now this entire podcast is going to be centered, is going to be centrified on basketball. The NBA starting up here, and I guess, man, look, the, um, as I'm recording, this is November 13th, so we're speaking about, what, five weeks, five and a half weeks before the start of the NBA season, so I'm going to get into that. The draft is coming up. Not too much on the draft. Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, um, really haven't delved into that as much as I should and as much as I'm comfortable with in terms of talking about who needs what and who's going where and the rumors and everything like that with NFL football going on with this COVID-19 affecting all of the college football games. That's mainly been my focus. I really wanted to talk. I mean, week after week, I wanted to sit there. I wanted to, uh, before the expiration date wore off, talk about, you know, Doc Rivers going to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Doc Rivers being fired by the Clippers, uh, coaches that are being hired, that are being fired, all of those things that I wanted to discuss, but because of the football season, really didn't get an opportunity. So today... On this podcast, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing, talking about what's going down in the NBA, talk about what's happening in college basketball. I saw a game last night, a high school game. It was an exhibition game in between watching the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts at halftime. And during some of the commercials, I flipped over to uh, one of the ESPN stations and I saw uh, a high school exhibition game between the number one ranked Hoopster in the senior class in high school versus the number one ranked junior uh, basketball player in high school. Imani Bates, the junior, is supposed to be the greatest or the most talented recruit, the most sought-after recruit, the most highly respected recruit since LeBron James was doing his thing over down in Akron. And Chet Holgren, I've had the opportunity to watch him play. He was out here playing in Vegas uh, last summer uh, at the, at the one of the uh, AAU basketball tournament, so I had an opportunity to go on down to uh, Bishop Gorman High School and check him out because one of the teams, <clears throat> one of the teams that's been interested in Holgren and the feeling is mutual is Georgetown. So anytime I get an opportunity to see a Georgetown recruit, even if the chances of getting him are slim, I wanted to go ahead and take a look and see how he played uh, in person. So I was watching that game. I had my thoughts and feelings about that, and I had my thoughts and feelings about the upcoming season for Georgetown, man, do I miss those guys. I cannot wait for November 25th when their first game is upon us. So those are some of the things, those are the things that I'm going to be talking about today. For Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So as I mentioned before, the NBA season is going to begin on December 22nd. It's going to be a 72-game uh, schedule. 
Uh, there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of chatter during this negotiation or during these discussion points between the league and the players about exactly when they were going to be able to play the um, start the season. The owners wanted November, excuse me, December 22nd. The players wanted Martin Luther King Day, the junior uh, national holiday on January 19th. And the deciding factor on the league coming to the agreement that they would be playing on December 22nd was, you bet it, money, 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 money. The league, if it started on uh, January 19th, Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, you're talking about the league losing anywhere from $500 million <clears throat> to a billion dollars. They waited that long to start the uh, start the association. And the BRI, which is the Basketball Revenue Income, that's a 50-50 split between the owners and the players. So if the owners are losing money, guess what? The players are going to be losing money. So the players were like, yeah, let's. Uh, how much money are we going to be losing? How much revenue is going to be lost? Close to a billion dollars. So Chris Paul looked at Michelle Roberts, and Michelle Roberts looked at LeBron James, and LeBron James looked at all the other guys who were representing their teams in terms of the players are concerned and said, yeah, we'll start November, we'll start December 22nd, we'll go ahead and do that, because with the pandemic still prevalent, still among us, and it's going to be getting worse before it gets better, I know Pfizer came out with this vaccine, and 90% complete, and all those type of things, but for the most part, you can take a look for the near future, that the NBA is going to be playing its games in empty arenas without any fans, so that's another revenue stream that's going to be lost. So the league lost about $1.5 billion last season in revenue. So somehow, someway, they're going to have to catch that up. And playing 72 games is going to be interesting. It's not the full 82, but for the TV contracts and for everything else, they have to go ahead and get the thing done. Now, another reason why the league wants to start on December 22nd rather than the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday in mid-January is the league doesn't want to extend the season into the summer. If you remember last season, the ratings weren't good. And you have the upcoming Summer Olympics. That would be problematic for the league, FIBA. The players were speaking about, you know, if the Summer Olympics, which, were going to be hap which are going to be happening later on this summer, is going to be interfering with the NBA. If the NBA is going to be uh, going ahead and doing this, then, you know, you want to get the season over with as soon as possible. So you have December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, or June normally when the season ends. And then you'll have time for the players who want to play in the Olympics. Hopefully that'll be players like Steph Curry. I don't know if LeBron's going to want to go ahead and do that at 36 years old. I, I hope that the, the United States, or I'm sorry, now the racist, ignorant, selfish states of America, after the preceding elections, now that's the new moniker for this country, I hope that the, some of the players can go ahead and help Greg Popovich earn that gold medal. Um, that would be players like Kawhi Leonard. That would be players like Anthony Davis. That would be players like Steph Curry. That would be players like uh, James Harden. So we'll see. We'll see what's going to be happening. But the league going into, if the league started in January, it would um, blend into the Summer Olympics. And not just with the racist, ignorant, selfish states of America, the, the uh, citizens here, the players here, you know, would be uh, would be in question in terms of whether they would play or not. They're also speaking about players from other countries who are going to be playing and representing their countries in their in the Olympics. So this could affect somebody like a Luka Dantich. This could affect somebody like a Giannis Adinokupo. This could affect somebody like a, a Nikola Jokic. All of these guys who 
take great pride in playing for their country. Now, they are kind of at a crossroads. So do you go ahead and do you play in the Olympics and forego playing for a championship or forego playing the rest of the season with the team, with the franchise, with the employer that's employing you and paying you a paycheck? Or do you go ahead and play for your for your country in the Olympics if you're one of these players who are from uh, playing overseas? So those are the things that also the NBA was taking a look at. It, was just, it just felt weird, didn't it? Didn't it feel weird last season? I'm up here watching the NBA Finals for the first time in a long time. Maybe, I guess, since 1995 when the um, Houston Rockets blew out the Orlando Magic. This was the first time since then that I really wasn't into the NBA Finals. The Heat playing the Lakers. Yeah, I know LeBron going for his fourth, fourth championship. Anthony Davis trying to get his first championship. The whole deal about Heat culture and Pat Riley going up against LeBron James and the rivalry between those two guys when LeBron left the Miami Heat and Pat Riley still stinging about that and LeBron James still butthurt about that. The way that was all, way that all went down and the way that was treated. So you had plenty of storylines of interest. And if the finals were happening in June and they were playing at Miami and they were playing the Staples Center, Miami Arena and the Staples Center, yeah, the, in front of like, you know, 90% capacity going nuts on either side. Yeah, the game, the uh, interest would be a lot higher. And if it happened in June. But you had some games going on when you had NFL action happening. I can't, I can't, I can't sway my, my viewing pleasure from the NFL to the NBA in October or in September. I can't do it. That's when the, that's when the NFL is. You know, that's when I can't can't go ahead and do that. So the NBA learned its lesson in terms of look, we're not going to uh, we're not going to try this again. I always thought at the beginning before this pandemic hit, I always thought this for years that the association that the NBA should start a season on Christmas Day. And you're speaking about what a seven eighth month right now was October, November, December. January, February, March, April, May, June, right? So we're talking about the NBA Finals being over in June. Let's just say, for instance, it starts, the NBA season starts close enough to November. November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So we have eight months. So eight months, the regular season is six months. So if you're speaking about starting the league on Christmas Day, you have January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. So, with that schedule, if the finals were going to be over in August, I think for the league, I would much rather have it go against Major League Baseball than I would against football. Because the season for the association always starts off, you know, you have that first week, high anticipation, woohoo, he hip, ha, you know, you get the free preview on the NBA League Pass, so you go ahead and you just indulge in watching all the basketball you can for free. Um, you do that for about a week, and then maybe after seven or eight games, the interest in the NBA wanes because you're so into the NFL season. You're so into college football that, you know, I mean, during the week, it's nice to watch the uh, TNT games on Thursday night. It's nice to watch ESPN on Wednesday night and Friday night, but for the most part, you're in, you're in NFL college football mode, especially if you're talking about we're November, December. Now, the, well, the regular season games in the NFL are never really meaningless, but you're starting to get a better picture of who's going to be doing what, who has a great team, who has a chance to win the Super Bowl, what players are doing what the the 
the opinions about the team and the players and the chances, they become a lot more clear. So you have that to deal with. And like I mentioned before, once December or January hit, when the playoffs start happening in the, in, um, in the NFL, you're not paying attention to the NBA. So by the time the season's over in February for the NFL, and you get your attention back to the NBA again, I mean, we're already, what, 30-something games into the season. The season's almost halfway over. So for me, I would much rather start the season in December, or like I mentioned before, on Christmas Day, and then only deal with the NBA for one month, which is the playoffs, and then move in from there. You want to deal with college basketball, who cares? If you want to deal with baseball, all right. But it would be much better for me, I would think, if they avoided football as much as they could. But the league is like, nah, we tried that summer. We tried this summer. It didn't work. I think that if they, I think it would take initially take a hit in terms of it's just something new. It's just something that fans, NBA fans need to get used to. But why couldn't you say, for instance, I know the baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. So July 4th, Independence Day for some, you have in this country, you know, baseball is supposed to represent that. I mean, what better than to celebrate the birth of our nation as an independent nation from Britain than to have America's game, which was created here and was the first sport here and was the most beloved sport for a while here, if you discount boxing and horse racing. But, you know, I'd say why not? The NBA would have another day in terms of what they can do to celebrate the league and celebrate this country. They have Christmas Day, which is all to themselves. Martin Luther King Day, they have a big brouhaha for that. So why not start the season late December and then you can go in and have it in uh, July? Maybe have something for July 4th, whether it be what during that time, it might be the playoff, the regular season would probably be over at that time. But why not have some uh, important NBA playoff games on July 4th? So those, those are just my thinking, but I don't know, man. I don't have the data. I don't have anything like that, but... For this season, they're going to start the, uh, the NBA on December 22nd instead of Christmas Day, December 25th. Now, many people are sitting there, they're talking about, well, why are you starting this season on the 22nd of December and not Christmas Day? Well, obviously it's money, 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 and TV contracts. TNT is contracted to have opening night, ring night. They are the ones that uh, get that. And ABC, ESPN have the contractual rights to program the games on Christmas Day. So TNT ain't giving up opening night or ring ceremony night. And ESPN ain't giving up or sharing the Christmas Day bonanza where you have six or seven teams, uh, six or seven games on that day with nothing else around to uh, call a counter program that. So that's, that's also, that's one of the reasons. I don't know, man. Um, 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 this is just, this is just all just new to me. 2020 has just been just fucking crazy, man. Absolutely fucking crazy. So, look, they're starting the season on the 22nd. I know some players have some problems with the season starting so soon. So soon. You talk about no time for proper rest or recover. The time between October 11th, which was the last game of the 2020 NBA Finals with the Lakers winning their championship over the Miami Heat in six games, LeBron winning his fourth. Anthony Davis winning his first, Kyle Kuzma winning his first, more importantly, Alex Caruso winning his first. The start of training camp would be somewhere like around December 1st. So if you're talking about the last game of the season being 
October 11th and the start of the training camps on December 1st, that's only a rest and recover for the Heat and the Lakers of 51 days. And you're talking about the uh, Miami and LA Lakers being in a bubble in a campus situation for 95 fucking days, three months they were down there. Now, I know, I know, oh, big deal. Ooh, luxury, you know, luxurious conditions and hotel suites. Ooh, yeah, boy, how rough, how tough. I know those guys in Vietnam who fought in the war and in the Gulf War are sitting there going, whoo, how did those guys ever make it through? Those guys who did multiple, um, um, multiple shifts in Iran and Iraq and everything. Oh, my goodness, how are they surviving? Hey, man, you spend three and a half months or you spend over three months away from your family and in conditions like that. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, those guys need to have their faces carved on the side of a mountain or name of city after them. But, uh, you know, it's a pretty big deal for those guys to do that. And then you also had teams like the Boston Celtics and Denver Nuggets and the Clippers and Toronto Raptors. They were in that situation, if not for three months, almost three months away from their family and their routines and everything. So, again, I'm not saying that they need to, you know, they need to be bowed down and given the Medal of Honor. But, you know, I think that it was a pretty arduous task for those guys to do. So if you take a look at a rest and recovery period for those guys, or a lot of those guys anywhere between 51 and, you know, 62 or 63 days, last year's offseason in comparison, the season ended on June 13th. That was the last game of the NBA Finals, Toronto over the Golden State Warriors. So from June 13th to the start of the training camps in September, that was 107 days. So the two teams that played the most had double the amount of time to rest and recover than the two teams that played the most and won the championship and played for the championship this uh, past off season or this past season. So I can understand for some who went through that, the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets and the Toronto Raptors and stuff to sit there and be like, well, damn, you know, this is kind of like an unfair competitive advantage. The teams that didn't play when the season resumed or played in the bubble for only eight regular season games, basically it was a mini camp, and they got the hell out of there. Teams like the Phoenix Suns, who really improved their stock by going 8-0, and Devin Booker introduced himself as a potential superstar. The Memphis Grizzlies, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Washington Wizards, and the Sacramento Kings, those guys almost had like a, a mini training camp, a mini OTA to go ahead and do some things. Now, I know, like, for instance, with my Wizards, Bradley Beal didn't attend and some others, but still, the fact that Rui Hachimura got some run, the fact that uh, Troy Brown Jr. got some run, got some experience, it was almost like a quasi-summer uh, league for those guys. And then you have teams like the Golden State Warriors, the Chicago Bulls, the New York Knicks, the Charlotte Hornets. You have those type of teams. They haven't played in almost nine months. And look, Chicago's going to stink out loud. The Knicks are the Knicks. Charlotte's the Char uh, Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, okay. So, you know, what kind of competitive advantage they have? Just because they haven't played that long, teams like the Atlanta Hawks, all of a sudden, those teams now are going to be, you know, fighting and scratching and clawing for an NBA championship because they didn't play in almost, what, over 200 days since the, their last outing on a basketball court in an arena in March? No. But I take a look at a team like the Golden State Warriors. And, well, damn shit, fuck, if I'm the Lakers... If I'm the Clippers, if I'm the Utah Jazz, if I'm the Houston Rockets, especially with all the turmoil they're going through right now, if I take a look at those Western Conference teams who are above average and you know, who are Western Conference contenders, I take a look and say, damn, you're going to give the Golden State Warriors that much time off? A team that 
had gone to five consecutive NBA Finals, 1-3. The Warriors haven't played since March. So basically, you take a look at those five trips to the NBA Finals, compared to the other teams in the league, they played the probably, an, what, an extra, what we're speaking about here, 60, 65, 70 games, depending upon the amount of um, time, the games they played in each series. So we're speaking about Golden State before everything shut down in March compared to the other teams in the league. They had played almost like an extra season. And then you have Clay Thompson coming back from an ATL uh, tear. He hadn't played a game since June of uh, 2019. Once again, after tearing his uh, ACL in the finals against Toronto. You have Steph Curry, who's played one game since October 30th of last year after breaking his hand against the Phoenix Sun. He came back for one game on March 15th against the uh, Toronto Raptors in the loss where he scored 23 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. Draymond Green, he probably now refreshed. I mean, a guy who plays bigger than his size has more responsibility as far as banging and everything that he's responsible for on the defensive end. He's 30 years old, reaching 30 now. He only played in 43 games and had his lowest rebounding number since his second year in the league, lowest assist average since his third year in the league. So I'm quite sure he's refreshed. He's uh, ready to uh, rip-roar and let it go. I don't know if we're going to ever see the Draymond Green that at one time probably was considered, I would say, anywhere between uh, number 9 and number 14th best player in the NBA. But still, you can't tell me that the wear and tear on Draymond Green on what he had to do as far as defense in terms of the banging, in terms of uh, the type of players he had to guard, the versatility that he he showed. And again, playing all of those games, extra games in the playoffs, you can't tell me the fact that he hasn't played since March is something that's going to be a detriment. We don't know that for sure, but I'm going to guess that it's going to be no. So the Raptors, excuse me, so the... Um, so the uh, Golden State Warriors are a team that we're going to be looking at saying, you know, which way, what, where are we going to be going this season? I don't know if there's anybody in the history of the NBA, maybe the uh, Miami Heat after they won the championship with Shaq and Dwayne Wade and those guys, and after winning the championship, with which was Shaq's fourth, and he thought that this was a way for him to distance himself from Kobe Bryant, basically took the summer off and came back out of shape and didn't play. And I think the Miami Heat went from winning the championship to being to being one of the worst teams in the league. I think mean, that was the same situation with the Golden State Warriors. Now, Golden State didn't win a championship. They lost in six games to the Toronto Raptors. But after everything that went down concerning Kevin Durant tearing his ACL, missing the entire season and going over to the Brooklyn Nets, the injury that happened to Steph Curry, basically knocking him out for the high majority of the season. You had Klay Thompson not playing at all because of the ACL tear. You had guys like DeMarcus Cousins who didn't, uh, because of injury, really didn't uh, perform up to the capabilities and responsibilities that Golden State wanted them to. So he was gone. You had guys like Sean Livingston retired. You had guys like Andre Iguodala moving on. You had these players who were the core of the mini dynasty, which was the Golden State Warriors going to five NBA championships in a row, all of a sudden not be there. So now you have Golden State bringing out players and putting players like, you know, Alex Burke and and Eric Pascal and all these other guys who you never heard of. And because of that, they got drummed, they got drilled on a regular basis. Kevin Looney, the only other guy who stepped on the floor for the Warriors this past season who had championship experience, was nothing more than a role player when you know the team that was surrounding him with Durant and Curry and Thompson 
and green. So this wasn't the guy who was going to elevate his game enough to save the Warriors from the season that they were going to have if all of those players were not going to be uh, available to those guys. So Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, David West, JaVale McGee, Sean Levingston, they're not walking through that door, folks. And if they're walking through that door, they're either going to the visitor's locker room or they're in street clothes and they're going to be buying the ticket to watch the games. So with the Warriors moving forward, be interesting. Are they going to go ahead, sign a veteran with playoff experience and free agency? Now, rumor has it, there's been reports that Golden State has some interest in Jeremy Lin, Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap. I mean, are Golden State going to draft themselves a player? They have the number two pick in the draft, but will that significantly help the Warriors' chances of winning this season and next when we're speaking about the ages of their core players, they don't need somebody who's going to be available and get ready and roaring to go and have them win championships in three or four years. The Warriors, with Jacob Lakeham as their owner, they're set, they're wanting to win a title now to maximize the players still in their primes right now. So draftees, potential draftees, top three picks that are expected to go in this NBA draft, such as Anthony Edwards from Georgia, Lamelo Ball, who played over in Australia, James Wiseman, who played about three games for Memphis before the NCAA came down on him because of improper dealings with the uh, with Memphis and, and him, and he decided and said, "Screw it, I'm going to go ahead and just drop out and prepare myself for the NBA." So there's not too much film on him. So what do the Warriors do? Are the Warriors just going to draft one of those guys? If listening to Chad Ford and some others, if the Warriors are going to draft anybody, it would probably be James Wiseman. The center, seven foot one, great athleticism. He's being compared to DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan was a second round pick, number 35 out of Texas A&M. You're going to try to tell me the number two pick in the NBA draft, his ceiling is DeAndre Jordan? That's it? Because of his athleticism, because of his defensive capabilities, because of his ability to protect the rim on the defensive end? I mean, DeAndre Jordan? I mean, is he at least going to have a little bit more better of an offensive game? Is he going to be able to hit free throws with a little bit more consistency than uh, Jordan? So, I don't know. I mean, the Warriors could use a rim protector, of course. But uh, that's the best you can get. And James Wiseman, the best of James Wiseman is going to be DeAndre Jordan. When exactly is that going to be happening? Are we talking about three years from now, four years from now? Again, we don't have any tape on this guy. Well, we have very little tape on this guy. And the one time I did see James Wiseman play for Memphis last season against a halfway decent team. It was a neutral site team. I forgot. He was all right. He was pretty good, but he wasn't anything where, man, when this guy goes into the league next year, is he going to be an impact player? That's what Golden State is looking for. Impact in terms of having them win now, not impact of them coming in and saving the core of the team. This isn't a Tim Duncan being drafted by San Antonio to save the legacy of David Robinson. This isn't uh, Dwayne Wade uh, saving the legacy of Shaquille O'Neal and carrying that big man to a championship, his fourth. This is someone where you just want a really good role player who can fit the weakness that the Warriors have, which is basically rim protection. Is Jace Wiseman ready to do that for the Warriors? I don't think the Warriors uh, know. I don't think we know. I don't think you know. But... uh, if the Warriors are going to keep that pick, that's who they're going to be drafting from all actuality, from everything 
that I've been reading, hearing, and uh, listening to. So that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. And who knows? You know, you could have a situation where you draft Wiseman, you play him. He is a guy who shows that he has some talent for the future. He shows that potential. And maybe a team like, say, I don't know, the Washington Wizards, who are sitting there, you know, you know, 15 games, 17 games out of first place, and Bradley Beal starts chirping about, you know what, I'm really not interested in uh, staying here and playing with the Wizards. Well, you know, that's a chip that the uh, Wizards and the Warriors have in terms of we're looking to get better for the future. Bradley Beal is 30 years old, or he's close to 30 years old, and he's not part of our future long term. If you give us James Wiseman and a couple of futures and something else, then maybe we can talk. And then maybe that's a situation that Golden State runs into. A lot of championships are won with in-season acquisitions, trade deadline acquisitions, picking up the picking up a player from the waiver type acquisitions. Not saying Bradley Beal is going to be that guy, but uh, that's normally what happens. So you take a look at the Golden State Warriors' chances for the 2020-2021 season. What do you think? Where are we going here? Ring rust versus rest? I guess we're going to have to ask the question, how well is Clay Thompson going to play after missing time because of the injury and the pandemic? What's going to be happening with Draymond Green after seeing after him having such a disappointing season? Are we now starting to see the decline in his skills? As I mentioned much, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, 30, but I think he's an older 30 than most NBA players who are 30. How much of the younger, how about this? How much of the younger talent that played a lot last season and contributed. How much are they going to be able to carry that over? So maybe someone like a Damian Lee or a Eric Pascal or a Marquise Christ, who they picked up at the trade deadline, and a Andrew Wiggins, who was traded for uh, D'Angelo Russell, or who was traded to the Golden State Warriors for D'Angelo Russell. Those guys got some time. Yeah, they were getting blown out, but you know what? They were getting some experience. They were getting some quality time. Now, guys like Glenn Robinson III is no longer with the team. He's with the uh, San, uh, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. You have someone like uh, Alex Burks, who also showed pretty well near the end of the season for Golden State. He's no longer with the team. But, you know, Eric Pascal, the rookie last year from Villanova. You had Damian Lee. Marquise Chris, the high pick from Washington years ago, who's trying to change his changes the trajectory of his career after being a bust with the Phoenix Suns and being a bust with the Houston Rockets going over now to San Antonio. Andrew Wiggins, probably the biggest wild card of them all, a guy who has been a major disappointment being in the NBA, being the number one draft pick. When this kid was in high school at Huntington Prep down in West Virginia, and you had YouTube clips of him going off and dunking over everybody and having LeBron James sitting there in the stands going, ooh, Everybody thought that Andrew Wiggins was going to be the guy with the possibility of taking the torch from LeBron and being one of the players who were going to be the faces of the league. That's how athletic and that's how talented he was. So far, he has been a major disappointment. Now, I think what leads to people to think how leads people to think that this is the reason why, you know, why he's been so disappointing is because the the uh, bad business at the timber that the Minnesota Timberwolves had had giving him a huge contract extension. If Andrew Wiggins was on a decent contract, he hasn't been awful. He hasn't been Michael Bendit. He hasn't been Dragon Bender. He hasn't been Wesley Johnson bad. He hasn't been Jimmer Fredette bad. He hasn't been, uh, uh, who was that guy from Gonzaga? Uh, 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 Morrison. 
Alex Morrison, Eric Morrison, I don't know, John Morrison and the Doors, I don't know, um, Morrison and the, uh, the, for the WWE, but, um, oh shit, the guy, I forgot his name, anyway, moving on, but basically, my thing is that he hasn't been that kind of a bust, but when you place the expectations on what Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be, and you match it with the production that he's had so far in this league, it's been disappointing, but he has not been a total incomplete bust. But the guy has tremendous, tremendous athleticism. He's still young, um, very one-dimensional. He can shoot and he can score. Not that doesn't do anything else. But being a role player with the Golden State Warriors, if they keep him, how big is he going to be able to uh, contribute to the Warriors getting back to being one of the one of the teams that could beat for an NBA championship? We will see. We will see. Because you have favorites in the Western Conference this season, like the Lakers and the Clippers and Denver and Dallas, and we don't know what Utah is going to be. So it'll be, uh, it'll be, it'll be something to watch. You know, I wonder how the off season, the the shortened off season, is going to affect teams like the Lakers and Clippers. You thought that you were pulling your hair out and you were upset about uh, load management and players missing games and seasons before. If you're speaking about the Lakers, if you're speaking about the Clippers, with a 36-year-old LeBron James, with an often injury-prone Anthony Davis, and with the Clippers, with Paul George, and especially with Kawhi Leonard, who's been load-managing his career for the last, what, three or four years now? Probably about three years. You think Kawhi's going to be playing 72 games? You think LeBron's going to be playing 72 games? You think AD and Paul George are going to get anywhere near 72 games? If I'm LeBron James, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll go ahead and I'll play opening night where I get my ring. I'll go ahead and play Christmas Day because of the importance. And after that, you won't see me probably until February. I'll come back for one game on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And then again, and then you won't see me again until the middle of February or the near the beginning of February. If I'm LeBron, that's exactly what I'm doing. If I'm Anthony Davis, I'm not playing no damn 72 games. I'm probably not even playing close to 62 games. If I'm the Laker Brass, I don't want him playing that many games to begin with. If I'm Steve Ballmer, the fact that I'm like worth a hundred trillion billions, a gazillion dollars, and maybe can afford the fact that Kawhi Leonard might break down early and not fulfill the entire contract if he resigns with the Clippers or if he, he extends with the Clippers, I'm not playing. I'm not having that man play uh, 72 games. Kawhi Leonard next year is going to be playing about 50 to 52 games. You think he's going to be doing any back-to-backs? I don't think so. Paul George, he ain't getting close to playing 72 games. He's going to be playing 60, 61, 62 at the very most. So how does that come into a factor with someone like the Golden State Warriors, who after this long layoff, Steph Curry should have no problem playing 72 games. Klay Thompson may be nursing his knee, coming back from that knee injury. He should be closer to playing 72 games than the other important players on those elite championship type squads that I just mentioned, at least talent level wise, when you're speaking about the true NBA champions, Los Angeles Lakers, and the talent laden potential NBA champions based on paper and talent, Los Angeles Clippers. So it'll be interesting. Will the Golden State Warriors be the number one or number two seed just based on the fact that the teams that are elite in the league and played deep into the season last year, are conceding the regular season. Why would the Lakers give a damn about what position they are in the playoffs when the playoffs roll around? 
if the season really does go 72 games. First of all, we, we don't even know once the season is over for the playoffs. We don't even know where we're going to be in the society. We don't know where we're going to be with this virus on what exactly we're going to do. Are we going to have to go to another bubble when the playoffs starts? Are we just going to have be playing games in empty arenas? Are we going to be in a position when the playoffs start that we can have fans back? Are we going to be in a position to where, say, for instance, we'll be playing in their arenas, in the team's arenas, in front of 15% capacity, 20% capacity? We don't know. We don't know. And are there going to be 72 games? Does the season going to have to be postponed again? Or is the season going to have to be moved again? I think, God forbid, there's a huge outbreak. As I mentioned before, with the Olympics and everything going up and football starting in the fall and everything, I think, for instance, God forbid something happens in March to where the league has to shut down again, it's not coming back in July. It's not coming back in August to finish the schedule. They're just going to be like, you know, screw it, we're done. That's it. So to be speaking about the impact that the Golden State Warriors are going to have in terms of their players getting the rest and coming back strong, compared to the Lakers defending NBA champions, their main stars being LeBron, James, and Anthony Davis, who are no longer at the point of their careers where they need to play 72 games or where they need to give a damn about the regular season. When you have a squad like the Los Angeles Clippers, who are still talented, and still have one of the best players in the league in Kawhi Leonard, but yet a guy who has shown that, you know what, load management is going to be the key to a success in a regular season, in terms of regular, when I'm talking about the regular pattern of the season, that um, Kawhi can't play an entire 82 games. He can't even get close to playing 72 games anymore. What does all that mean moving forward? That's what we're going to be finding out starting December 22nd. And even between now and December 22nd, the draft free agency and such, what's going to be happening with teams like the um, Utah Jazz? What's going to be happening with teams like the Los Angeles Clippers, who are rumored to be uh, interested in a Russell Westbrook-type player or a James Harden uh, if the Houston thing implodes? What about San Antonio with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge? There's been rumors and talk, and I'll be talking about this a little bit later on in the podcast, where there's discussions with the Lakers that the uh, Lakers and Spurs could trade for DeMar DeRozan. If that happens giving the Lakers the quote-unquote big three, I guess whatever big three that, you know, how you define it. But what does that mean moving forward if that happens? Are the San Antonio Spurs going to be sellers? Can Utah still work with the relationship of Donovan Mitchell and Ruby Gobert? That still, that still hasn't been resolved in terms of, yeah, they might sit there and say, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good, but are they really good? I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see moving forward and Gobert is up for a contract extension. So and you have to pay Donovan Mitchell and you are you are in a small market. So all of those things are gonna come into play. But December twenty second, ready or not, here I come. The NBA season started. Get ready, because if you're a fan, the league, the interest, the excitement, LeBron, Kawhi, Clay, Steph, Bradley Beal, John Wall returning. We don't know exactly where the, where the Toronto Raptors going to be playing this year. There was talk about the Raptors playing somewhere in the U.S. city because of the COVID restrictions between the United the uh, racist, selfish, divided states of America and Canada. 
So we don't know where Toronto is going to be playing next year and how that's going to affect a team that I think mentally is one of the toughest, if not the toughest team in the NBA. So we'll see, man. New happenings, new coaches in different locations. What about Zion Williamson? I mean, what is he going to be showing this season? The in continued uh, rise to superstardom for Luka Dantich after he took his game to another level after coming back when the season resumed down in Orlando? What about the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Denikupo? How much of a discussion that's going to be going out, uh, going through the season with him becoming a uh, free agent very soon? So how is that going to be working? Uh, what are the Milwaukee Bucks going to be doing to try to rebound from the disappointment of losing in the second round to the Miami Heat? All of these things that I'm going to be intrigued with, all of these things that I'm going to be interested in, 72 games, December 22nd, as I mentioned before, ready or not, the NBA is coming. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down today, speaking about what's happening in the NBA. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's doing fantastic. I hope everybody's doing what they need to do to educate the younger generation so they can move this country, so they can move this society, so they can move this world in a positive place. So when I'm long gone and I'm up in heaven, reunited with my parents, reunited, and it's going to feel so good. When I can listen to the lectures of Malcolm X, when I can listen to the music of uh, Otis Redding and Sam Cooke and James Brown and Donnie Hathaway, when I can watch such great players as Johnny United throw the football up there in heaven and do all those type of things. I hope that uh, the world I leave, whether it be later on today or five decades from now, will be a better place than it is. Took the first step. And getting the fucking asshole that we have currently in the White House, getting that piece of shit out of there. But the fact that over 70 million people voted for a racist, misogynistic, narcissistic piece of shit just shows you once again why I refer to this country not as the United States. 200 plus years that this country has been, over 200 years in fact, this country has never been united. So it's always been divided. There's always been dealing with racism and misogyny and oppression. And all those type of things. So the divided, racist, ignorant states of America. That's what I'm calling it. But hopefully we can move in the right direction. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Now in my beautiful townhome here on the northwest side of Las Vegas, Nevada, as I'm doing this podcast, I have on Game 6, April 24th, 1963, the NBA championship between... The Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. Tommy Heinsohn and Casey Jones and Sam Jones and Sat Sanders and Bill Russell going up against Rudy, Rudy LaRussa and Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Dick uh, Dick Barnett and those guys. So on YouTube, if anybody's interested, the only reason why I usually watch these type of games when I'm doing these podcasts is number one, that's the only time I'm going to watch it. I'm not on my free time I'm going to be spending two hours watching a, an NBA basketball game from 1963, but 
for educational purposes. You know, I, I want to see how good Jerry West was. I want to see how good Bill Russell was. I want to see how good Tommy Heinsohn was. I want to see how good of a coach Red Auerbach was. I want to see how good of a player Elgin Baylor was. Elgin Baylor was the godfather, was the grandfather, shall you say, of players like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and all these high flyers, Dominique Wilkins and these guys. I mean, uh, I guess you could say that Elgin Baylor was the first person who brought black basketball into the NBA in terms of how he played with the one-on-one situation, the hang time and everything like that. So I just want to get a... I just want to get a good look because you can't find too many old NBA basketball games on. So I always wanted to see how good these guys were. One thing I will say, because people always talk about the NBA is all three-point shooting and everybody's standing around and everybody goes one-on-one. Not like the good old days. Well, I will say this, that watching this game I'm right now into the third quarter with the Celtics leading. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert, the Celtics win this game. Um... It is true that these guys do move. I mean, they pass and move, and they cut and everything, but Elgin Baylor does hold on to the ball, looking to go one-on-one. I I will say that, you know, uh, Bill Russell, when he gets the ball in the post, I mean, there's some cutting action, and there's some movement on the weak side and everything, but he he does hold on to the ball. But what's so amazing is just how small these players are compared to today's game. And And the court hasn't changed. For the size of these players. I mean, these guys are so small. And these guys are playing like, these guys are setting up offense like 17 feet away from the basket. You can't do that in today's game. These guys are too big. These guys are too athletic. These guys know the plays too well for, you know, these guys to be setting up and running plays and doing these type of things with the amount of space that you see these guys doing it back in 1963. And the fact, so the the fact that the uh, size of the court hasn't changed. I mean, no wonder you see so many players stepping out of bounds, and you know, and no wonder you see players shooting three-point shots. I understand that analytics has come into where the more threes you shoot, you know, uh, shooting a three, shooting three three-pointers is nine points, shooting three two-pointers is six points. So hey, do the math. But I think also it's out of necessity, just due to the fact that the court is so damn small, you can't run the type of offense that the Celtics and Lakers back here were running because. Again, man, it's just the, the, the players are just too damn big. So, it's an enjoyable game to watch. But, uh, you know, the fact that, oh, yeah, man, the game, the, the guys back in these days, no, not even close. Not even close. And the skill set, as far as today's game is concerned, these players are much, much, much more skilled. Jerry West is still Jerry West. His, his, um, his, his jumper is pure line drive, but his, uh, you know, bounce off the dribble to, to go into a jump shot is awesome. And Baylor with the jab step and his moves and everything are, are, are cool. And Russell on the defensive end, not blocking the ball. I can see now what Auerbach was talking about and historians talking about where Bill Russell never swatted the ball out of bounds. He just tapped it, which, you know, you see in the game that I'm watching now. And, you know, all those things are interesting, the ball movement and everything. But today's game, I uh, – I have no complaints about that one. Do they shoot too many threes? Yeah. Do they stand around a little bit too much? Yeah. But some of that is um, just because of you know the player today, their size and their strength, their length and their athleticism. So there you go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So gl- glad that you could be with us. NBA offseason news and notes with the season starting in about five, five and a half weeks. What in the holy scooby-dee-doop is going on with the Houston Rockets dealing with all of the drama? No wonder Daryl Morey and um, 
Mike D, Mike D'Antoni was like, yeah, we're good. We're out of here. According to uh, Sean Sharania of the Athletica Stadium, Russell Westbrook is hoping to move on this offseason. This was also reported by Adrian Wojnarowski last uh, this past Wednesday that Westbrook and James Harden had shared their concerns about the direction of the franchise under new head coach Stephen Silas, son of Paul Silas, and newly promoted general manager Raphael Stone. So this is a, according to The Athletic. Westbrook had informed team officials that he had an uneasy, that he had been uneasy about the team's accountability and culture and has a desire to return to his prior floor general role days in Oklahoma City, in which Oklahoma City said, No! <laughs> in which Sam Presti said, No! That is not happening. The 31-year-old Westbrook still has three years, $132.5 million remaining on his contract. Do you think Oklahoma City is really interested in bringing that contract back to a team right now that's rebuilding? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. You remember the Rockets require, uh, acquired him from Oklahoma City in a trade in which they sent Chris Paul two first-round uh, first picks and another draft consideration to the to the Thunder. So, no, the Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Sam Presti. I haven't spoken to anybody in the uh, in the organization. So I don't have any inside information in terms of their thoughts and feelings about bringing back Russell Westbrook if if it was if it was possible. But I I, I can't see it. I can't see it at all. So you know ahead you know ahead of this offseason, the trade rumors have been flowing concerning Westbrook. One season, Russell. One season. And you were going over there because James Harden's been your, your boy, you know, your homeboy since, uh, you know, childhood and everything. And, you know, y'all were going to be like peanut butter and jelly. Y'all were going to be like peaches and herb. Y'all were going to be like Levi Stubbs and Lawrence Payton Jr. Y'all were going to be the best of friends. I mean, you know, and after one season, you're already like, nah, I'm good. I'm time for me to move on. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reported that the Los Angeles Clippers and the New York Knicks were interested in Russell Westbrook. Now, the Los Angeles Clippers, I get. The New York Knicks, I have no fucking idea why they would want to bring in Russell Westbrook. Now, this is from Dan Feldman of Pro, uh, Pro Basketball Talk. He said that I had, mo I did have multiple sources that I trust tell me that teams believe Russell Westbrook could be had, that Westbrook could be had, and I've heard the Clippers have interest. I've heard the Knicks have interest in Westbrook, and whether anything materializes there... Who knows, but the fact is that there is a belief that a guy like Westbrook could become available. Again, the man has three years, $132 million left on his soon-to-be 32-year-old uh, self. Clippers, I get. Clippers are ready to win a championship right now. Steve Ballmer has enough money to buy planets let alone, um, you know, making up for the money and paying the luxury tax and all that type of stuff in the NBA. But I, Russell Westbrook, I don't, I don't know if you want to go there with him, if other than the Lakers or the Clippers. As I mentioned before, a team, a team is trying to win a championship. If you're the Miami Heat, would you bring in Russell Westbrook, knowing that the Rockets are going to ask for either Duncan, uh, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Bam out of Bayou, one of those guys, some, some draft picks. Would the 
would the Miami Heat have interest? I'm just thinking of teams that are looking to win a championship now. I, I couldn't understand a team like the Charlotte Hornets or the Phoenix Suns or the New York Knicks or the Oklahoma City Thunder, some of the teams that have been rumored that be possibility landing be possible landing spots for Westbrook if he decides if the um, Rockets do decide to trade for him. I, I can't see any reason why one of those teams that are rebuilding or are not looking to win a championship or not in a position to win a championship. I don't know why you would you would go with Russell Westbrook and pick up that contract. Three years, one hundred and thirty-two million dollars. What the what are the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets going to do with that contract? What are the Orlando Magic going to do with that contract? Maybe a team. I I read a story where you know the Milwaukee Bucks. They have the assets. They have the uh, situation where they could pull it off. You know, involving someone like an Eric Bledsoe, maybe um, uh, Dante Divincenzo in a deal, I'm trying to match up some some contracts to um, match the contract that Westbrook has. So if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you want to be, you want to show Giannis Antetokounmpo that he's really that you're really serious about trying to win a championship. As just as players alone, forget forgetting their salary, Westbrook would be an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe, and DiVincenzo is about the future. And right now, the future is now for the Milwaukee Bucks, i.e., keeping Giannis happy so he can sign that extension. What would be what would be better if the Milwaukee Bucks at least made it to the NBA Finals? Something they should have done the last two years but didn't. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, Russell Westbrook in Milwaukee, I mean, he's played his entire 11-year career before this past uh, offseason or this past season playing in Oklahoma City. So he's obviously not a guy who needs the big city and bright lights. So unless you're one of those teams, yeah. But I don't know, man. Westbrook was second on the Rockets. He had he averaged 27 points a game. That was up from the 23 points he averaged with Oklahoma City in uh, 2018-19. He also led the team with almost eight rebounds per game. Now, when he came back after the season resumed, or when the season resumed, look, he was dealing with COVID. He had a knee injury. So by the time Houston got to the playoffs and faced the Los Angeles Lakers in the second round, he was a shell of his former self. But this is a situation where, you know, Houston, with D'Antoni as your coach, you're going to put points on the board because of the way they played. And, and give Russell Westbrook some credit to the fact that he changed his game from a guy who was shooting five or six three-pointers a game to a guy who was taking it to the hoop almost every single time, forcing the defense to do something. And either he was making a basket, he was getting to the foul line, or he was setting up uh, easy opportunities for his other teammates. Now, is he going to be able to use that style of play? If he's going to play for, say, for instance, the Clippers, is he going to be able to play that way for a team like the Lakers who don't have a lot of perimeter shooting so the lanes won't be as open as they were when he was playing with the Houston Rockets with Harden and Robert Covington and Eric Gordon and all those guys shooting three to spread the floor in terms of space the floor to where Westbrook would have those driving lanes? Is he going to be able to do that with a non-shooting three-point team like the Milwaukee Bucks if Milwaukee trades for him? He's got to go to a right a right team in that regard. The Clippers are another team that don't have a bevy of outside shooting. So is how much of Westbrook's game at his best, driving to the basket, creating for others, how is that going to be compromised when the lane is not going to be as open as it was when he was playing with the Houston Rockets? And again, you have to also take into account 
his injury his, history, his age, the way that he plays, and his contract. So we'll see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Through all of this, James Harden reportedly remains committed to Houston, even though Kendrick Perkins comes on and talks about, yeah, you know what, uh, you know, James Harden isn't happy. I don't know why James Harden wouldn't be happy. Of all of the franchises, of all of the superstars, of all of the best players in the league playing for a franchise, I don't think anybody has done more to try to win a championship for James Harden in his eight-year tenure with the Rockets than the than the Houston Rockets. And he's done quite well. A guy who was wanted to a guy who was a six man for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And at the time, if you asked him, he was talking about, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, being part of that three man group back in the day. Especially after we came off of uh going to the NBA finals, me, KD, and Russ. Yeah, I was ready to roll with that group. I was ready to be the Mono Ginobili of that group and win championships and create my legacy and all those type of things. But once he got traded to the Houston Rockets, I mean, his career with the Rockets has been stellar. Won the MVP in the 2017-18 season. He's finished among the top three in voting four other times in the past six years. There was a strong debate that he should have won the MVP the first year that Giannis won the uh, MVP. He's owed $131.5 million over the three remaining seasons on his maximum contract, which he signed, including almost $47 million in the player option for 2022-23. He's arguably one of the best one-on-one players in NBA history. He's won the scoring title three times. And Houston, as I mentioned before, has done everything humanly possible for this guy to win. Oh, you want your homeboy, um, Russell Westbrook, because you're tired of Chris Paul? Done. We got to go out here. We got to try to uh, find some uh, players around them. Fine. We want to fit the style of play that best suits James. Okay, we'll go small ball. And we'll shoot just threes after threes after threes. Let it rain, let it rain, let it rain like a millionaire going to a strip joint. Making it rain, making it rain, making it rain. You need a big man. They went out back in the day, I think 2013, and got themselves the best big man free agent at the time in Dwight Howard. They built, they have done everything they could. Oh, he needed a point guard? To get them over the hump, they went out and they traded for Chris Paul or got themselves Chris Paul from the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Houston Rockets have been very, very aggressive. Daryl Morey was very, very aggressive in trying to uh, build a team around James Harden. So I I can't imagine, and maybe the fact that Daryl Morey is no longer with the team, he hadn't built up that type of relationship or trust with the new general manager, Raphael Stone. I still think that uh, Stone was part of the organization, so he should know something about him. He's not like a stranger coming off the street or coming from another organization. So, yeah, there's, uh, yeah. Tillman Fertitta, the uh, Rockers owner, he promoted general manager Raphael Stone and recently hired uh, Steven Silas. They emphasized, Fertitta has talked about, we're not trading Russell Westbrook. We're not trading James Harden. We have no interest. We're still trying to build around him. The Houston Rockets feel that, you know what, James Harden is the best player in the NBA. No, not LeBron. No, not Giannis. No, not Luka. No, none of those guys. The Rockets feel that they have the best player in the game. You want to sit there and laugh at them? Then go ahead. But that's their thinking. So their thinking is, we have the best player in the game. He's still in his prime at only 32 years old. Why in the hell are we going to trade him right now? 
If we have the best player in the game, it's our responsibility to build a team around him that can win championships. All right. So I, I get it. I understand it. And Harden has put in the work. As I mentioned before, signed Dwight Howard as a free agent in 2013 and when he was still regarded as a franchise center, top 10 player. Traded for Chris Paul in 2017. Traded Paul for Westbrook. Went all in. Trading Clint Capella in a 14 deal that gave them Robert Covington. But what has been the results of those moves? They made it to the Western Conference Finals in 2015 with Howard. Made it to the Western Conference Finals in 2018 with Paul. But in 2015, they lost in five games to the Golden State Warriors, who then went on to win the championship. And in 2018, they lost in seven games to the Golden State Warriors, who went on to win the NBA championship. Both of those years. Now, in 2015, the Warriors were clearly the better team. No shame in the Rockets losing that series. Four, five, six, seven games, whatever. No shame in losing to that team. But in 2018, they should have won that series. And if they would have won that series, that was at the time in the Western Conference factor, factor uh, Western Conference Finals, the de facto finals that year. Because the Cleveland Cavaliers were all beat up. That was the year, I think, um, what? Was that, was that the year that, that Kyrie wasn't on the team and LeBron was carrying them all by themselves? So basically, whoever won the Western Conference Finals was going to win the championship. And uh, they couldn't get it done. That was the season, Game 7, lost at home, I think at one point they missed like 45 consecutive threes or some nonsense like that. Golden State weathered the storm and won the game. And you speak about Harden, the relationship builder that he's had with the superstars, hasn't happened. Howard left after a free, after three seasons as a free agent. Now, Dwight Howard it was a goof and a goofball. And uh, so it, I'm not going to put all the blame on James Harden for that one. You know, Dwight Howard's, you know, relationships with people of importance in organizations have been well documented. His relationship with Kobe Bryant, his relationship with Dan Van Gundy. You know, after the Houston debacle, he bounced around from Atlanta to Washington and some other teams. So finally found himself an opportunity to win a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm not putting my trust in Dwight Howard right now, but yeah, so the goofiness of Dwight Howard. Uh, I can see where James Harden would tire of that. But the situation with Chris Paul, Chris Paul was traded after two seasons. Chris Paul was like, man, I can't play with this guy. I don't want to play with this guy. Get me out of here. I'm tired of trying to run an offense with me having the ball in my hands and James Harden is standing there at the half court line, not engaged, not uh, playing uh, with the rest of the squad. I'm not, I'm not down with that. Get me out of here. So, so that didn't work. So now moving into this season, now we have Russell Westbrook. And after one season, he can't make it work with James Harden. So two out of three in terms of who do I put more of the blame on for the relationship not growing and maturing and becoming something that could last. The first one with Dwight Howard's fault. But when it came to Chris Paul and now Russell Westbrook, I put that on, uh, I put that on James Harden. He is the face of the franchise. He is the man. He is the guy. My question again, and I asked this question while on my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with Joe Truly, Wendell Wallace. Can you build a championship around this guy? That's what it's really getting to. Yeah, James Harden is a great player. Yeah, James Harden is arguably one of the best guards in the league today. Yeah, James Harden deserves all the accolades. Yeah, James Harden in the regular season is one of the best players in the league. 
yeah, I'm not going to take anything away from James Harden and the achievements that he's that he's had and the accomplishments that he's had. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. He's a great player, no doubt about it. But bringing it back, can you build around a champion? Can you build a championship team? Can you win yourself a championship around a player like the type of player that James Harden is? I think that James Harden is the best one-on-one player in the game today, and I think he's one of the best one-on-one players in NBA history. I think he's probably in terms of ISO scoring one-on-one. I think that he's the second best scoring guard in NBA history, and that includes Kobe Bryant, that includes Dwayne Wade, that includes Jerry West. Only Michael Jordan, I think, is a better one-on-one basketball player, is a better ISO basketball player than James Harden in the game of basketball, in the history of basketball. But you take a look at the type of scorer and player that James Harden is, that you compare him to, the type of players that were ball dominant, volume shooting, ISO guards, and small forwards, who really scored a lot of points. But if you take a look at it, even though their assistant numbers might have been decent, they really didn't make the players around them better. Oh, they scored a lot. They put some points on the board. And if you take a look at the assist sheet, they might have had five, six, seven assists a game or something like that. But did they make their other players better? Did the other players have fun playing with them? Look, fuck fun, win a basketball game. But I think, you know, that builds into a championship type of game, getting everybody involved. Can you even say, for instance, we're going to sell out and even get players who don't need to get shots on their team? Can you win a basketball championship that way? Because I take a look at James Harden, and I take a look at players who are comparable, like George Gervin and Allen Iverson and Nate Archibald and Pete Maravich, Dominique Wilkins, Russell Westbrook. Those, again, those type of ball-dominant, volume-shooting, ISO-type guards and small forwards that George Gervin was. You know what all those players have in common? They've won themselves a lot of scoring titles. You know one thing they haven't won? If you take a look at Gervin, Iverson, Archibald, Maravich, Wilkins, Westbrook, you know one thing they haven't done? Win a championship, along with James Harden. They've won 13 NBA scoring titles combined. No championships. So if you want to win a, if you want a player on your squad that's going to win you a championship and win you a, a scoring title, get those type of players. But it's been shown, with the exception of Michael Jordan, who actually won a championship once Phil Jackson came around with Tex Winter, introduced the triangle offense, and Jordan decided to get more people involved. He went from being a ball-dominant, iso-guard, scoring type of guy to a guy who was now regarded as the best basketball player of all time, put him at the table. So Jordan and Kobe Bryant, who, again, when he was up there scoring 35 points a game and throwing up a whole lot of shots in between uh, in between Shaq leaving and uh, well, when, uh, before Phil Jackson got there, and then when Phil Jackson got there, introduced the triangle offense, he won championships, then Shaq got traded, Phil Jackson left, Rudy Tomjanovich came in, Kobe Bryant went up to chucking shots. Now, yes, he had such guys as Chris Mims, and he had such guys as Smush Parker on the team. So, yeah, the talent wasn't there. But Kobe Bryant, being that type of basketball player, didn't equate wins, championships, or anything fruitful for the Los Angeles Lakers. It's only when Phil Jackson came back to coach the team and he brought in Paul Gasol and Lamar Odom 
and introduced the triangle offense again, Kobe went back to winning two more championships from the three that he won with Phil the first go-around. So playing ISO ball or Houston Rockets type of ball or James Harden type of ball or that type of ball doesn't make you a championship team. So again, when you have a player like Harden who I don't know if he can even play any other way. I mean, you're asking the guy who's had this much much success in the league to all of a sudden be more of a team player, to be more involved. Now, I think that he's tried a little bit harder on defense. I think the defense is much better than when it was before when basically half the time he didn't even give a damn and the other half he just hardly gave a damn. But when you have a player like him, either you're just going to lose in the second round all the time and have a whole bunch of unhappy basketball players or you can do what the Philadelphia 76ers and Larry Brown did the year that Allen Iverson won the MVP is just to go with a bunch of guys who don't even like to shoot, don't even like to score, don't want to score and are fine and happy and dandy with Allen Iverson putting up 30 shots a game and isolating and going one-on-one all the time. Aaron McKee wasn't going to have, Aaron McKee wasn't the guy who wanted to shoot and scored 20 points a game. Kembe Mutombo, the center, he was a guy who was a defensive force. Eric Snow, the point guard, he was a guy known for his defense and couldn't shoot worth a lick. So the Sixers, around that time with Larry Brown, where they made it to the NBA Finals and lost to the uh, Lakers, that was a team that was built around Allen Iverson just scoring a whole bunch of points and the other guys playing defense, rebounding, passing the ball back to Iverson, having him shoot, miss, get the rebound, pass the ball back to Iverson, having him shoot, miss, get the ball, go and, and, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. And that's been shown that you don't win championships that way. Is, are the Houston Rockets going to be forced to do that? Small ball doesn't work. And you're talking about building the team around Harden and Westbrook, that's fine, but exactly how are you going to do that? They don't have any draft picks. They're all basically capped out, and Tillman Fertitta, the owner, has never gone gone over the luxury tax in the three seasons that he's owned the the, uh, Rockets. And the fact that this is the guy who's outside businesses, which is, you know, owning restaurants and and casinos and such, hotel casinos and such, I mean, that's taking a hit because of the pandemic. He doesn't have cash that he can you know infuse into his basketball product Lorenzo uh, film uh, Tillman Fertitta not Lorenzo Fertitta but Tillman Fertitta he owns the Houston Rockets him and him only so he can't go to his other four or five uh co-owners or those who have uh equity in the team and ask them to bail him out or ask him for a loan or ask him to do some other things financially this is his baby this is all his deal so in the world that we're living in right now, with the COVID situation, there seems not to be a light at the end of the tunnel in the near future. And the fact that the NBA, at the very least, is not going to have people in the stands to make up for the type of losses that they're going to incur, incur this season. Why would Tillman Fertitta then go ahead with his other businesses, you know, languishing because of the uh, pandemic that's going on in this country, this world, all of a sudden now with those other entities not uh, bringing in any extra money to put into his basketball team. He's going to go over the luxury tax. But for the team to lose in the second round again, there's no avenue, there's no direction, there's no trade, there's nothing, there's no draft pick out there that are going to make the Houston Rockets better than the Los Angeles Lakers for the 2020-21 season. There's nothing out there. There's no avenue to go. There's no trade to make for the Houston Rockets 
to become better than the Los Angeles Clippers or become better than the Denver Nuggets. Now, if you want to be in that same tier as the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder and maybe the Phoenix Suns or maybe the Memphis Grizzlies, that's fine. But those that tier is not winning championships. And this ain't the NCAA where you can get on a roll and win six games and win a championship. You ain't beating the Lakers four out of the seven. You ain't beating the Clippers four out of the seven. You ain't beating the Nuggets four out of the seven with the team that you have right now. But you can trade West, Russell Westbrook all you want to. There's nothing out there that's going to make them better. You can trade James Harden if you want to, Houston, but there's nothing out there that's going to make them better. I don't know what you're going to do with Robert Covington. I don't know what you're going to do with P.J. Tucker. I don't know what you're going to do with the other core players on that team, but there's nothing that you can do to make this team any better to be a force to compete for a championship. Not only this season, but also next season. And you see some of the teams that might be below the Rockets moving up. You see a young squad like the um, Phoenix Suns with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams at the head coach. And those guys are being rumored to uh, see what they can do to add to more pieces to get them more competitive for playoff spots and playoff berths and seedings and stuff. I think that they were linked to they were linked to Chris Paul, a possibility of getting them. They've been linked to possi- the possibility of getting themselves Russell Westbrook. So if you're Houston, you take a look back, and I know Satchel Paige, the great Negro League pitcher for the uh, for the uh, Homestead Graves, always said, you know, don't look back because people might be gaining on you. Well, if Houston looks back, they'll see that teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, teams like the uh, Phoenix Suns, they're gaining on them. And you know, Utah is always going to be good. We don't know what the New Orleans Pelicans is going to be, but they got themselves possibly a generational superstar in Zion Williamson. So are the Houston Rockets going to be stuck just above mediocrity with this team the way it is right now? What do you do if you are the Houston Rockets moving forward? Those are all the things that have to be answered. Those are all the questions that Houston has to, has to answer. For me, my dream has always been to own an NBA basketball team. My dream has always been to own the Washington Wizards. First of all, if I did, I'd change the name from the Washington Wizards to the Washington Wendells. I'm joking. I'm not Robert. I'm not. I'm not uh, the owner. I'm not Bob Johnson of the uh, of the Charlotte Bobcats. Jesus. But um, my philosophy has always been: Look, man, if you're not, I, I I can't accept mediocrity, or I can't accept I can't accept middle of the pack. I don't mind being bad. If I were an owner of a basketball team. I wouldn't mind being bad if I knew that we were in some direction to be moving up. I couldn't be in a position to where the Houston Rockets are right now or where the Portland Trailblazers are right now. I couldn't be that squad. I couldn't be that squad that wins anywhere between 45 and 52 games but don't have any shot once the playoffs start. I couldn't be that squad like the Utah Jazz. I just couldn't. I either have to be competing for championships or I have to be building to compete for championships. And if we get to a point where we max out on the opportunity to win championships with the group that we have, blow the whole thing up and let's start again. Now, if I have a coach like Rick Carlisle, if I have a coach like Eric Spolstra, if I have a coach like Greg Popovich, if I, shit, <laughs> I mean, I was about to say if I had a coach like like Doc Rivers, Black America's head coach, but uh, his last two forays, you know, his last job with the Los Angeles Clippers, I would say uneven at best. But, you know, if I had myself a really good, strong coach, 
who I want to be, you know, coaching this team forever. Yeah, man, let's blow this thing up and let's get out and let's start all over again. One year we have to go 15 and 67 or one year we have to go 20 and 62. But that affords us to get a lottery pick, which helps us then start rebuilding again. Then let's do it. Let's go for it. But I'm, uh, if I'm Houston, I'm, I'm doing a fire sale. I'm starting all over again. You're, you have a team right now that can only play one particular way which is just shoot a whole bunch of threes. And that's been shown that you can't win that way. You can't win with 6'7", Robert Covington, who weighs, the, who weighs 215, playing in the post. You can't do that. You can't win shooting 50-something three-pointers a game or shooting the you know, going close to 50-50 in terms of shooting three-pointers compared to two-pointers. You can't win that way. So if I'm... Tillman Fertitta, especially now when, you know, I get the luxury. I don't know if it's a luxury, but, you know, I don't have to worry about ticket sales or season tickets or anything like that because in all actuality, there probably is not going to be a, a point in this season for the near future where I'm going to be having fans in the stands. So while I'm rebuilding, while I'm stinking, while I'm tanking, I might as well not do it in front of anybody because nobody can come to the arena anyway to watch that product. So for me... Owning the Houston Rockets, if I were Fertitta, this would be the best time for me to see what I can do by putting James Harden on the market, by putting Russell Westbrook on the market, seeing what I can do with P.J. Tucker. Austin Rivers isn't coming back. I mean, what are you going to do with Robert Covington? What are you going to do with Eric Gordon, who was whining and complaining about his role on the team this past season? Last last season with the Houston Rockets, that, that team mirrored the or, or challenged the Los Angeles Lakers as the team who could have won the most dysfunctional team on the NBA award. I'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, if I'm for Tita, I'm blowing this thing up and I'm starting again. And you also have to remember, here's the elephant in the room. That's a bad imitation of an elephant. But here's another elephant in the room that people haven't talked about enough recently. They've talked about it enough, but not recently. Can you build around James Harden when... He's shown time after time after time that when the when a big game is needed, James Harden, for the most part, doesn't show up. Multiple examples of, James, we need you. We need you to have a Charles Barkley Game 7 against the Seattle Supersonics when he was with the Phoenix Suns. We need that type of performance where Barkley went out in Game 7 and scored 41 points and grabbed 24 rebounds and dished off 7 assists. We need James Harden to have a game like Charles Barkley had when he was um, when he was with the Phoenix Suns and they played the uh, Golden State Warriors, Chris Webber's, uh, Webber's rookie year, and he scored 50 points in the deciding game. I think he had like 30-something points in the first half, and he was absolutely torching with Trell Sprewell and Chris Webber and those guys who Webber was talking a whole bunch of junk. That was Webber's rookie year, Don Nelson with the coach, and during the playoffs, Weber was talking a whole lot of shit, and Barkley was like, oh, really? Okay. And he went out in the deciding game and scored 50. We need something like that from James Harden. And James Harden hadn't, doesn't, hadn't done that yet. I need that big game from James Harden. If you're supposed to be the best player in the league, show me. Show me when it counts. Not game 43 in the regular season. Not during the dog days of the NBA season. Show me when it counts. And so far in his career, James Harden has come up small. My man's making 131 million dollars. My man's going to be being is going to be paid 47 million dollars. And time after time after time, when we need you, 
Where are you? You're not around. Game uh, what, uh, Game five against the uh, Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals in 2015. He shot two for 11, 0 for three from deep, scoring just 14 points in the uh, in the final game. 2017. Remember that game, Game six against the uh, San Antonio Spurs when the Spurs were playing without Kawhi Leonard. Marcus Lamarcus Aldridge stepped up big time in that game. I think he scored 30 something points. What did game James Harden do? Oh, he scored 10 points, 2 of 11 from the field, 2 of 9 from three-point line. The Rockets were blown out. And then it was reported later on that evening or that night that James Harden was seen at a club partying it up. After he was talking about, yeah, man, I was exhausted. I was tired. That's the reason why, you know, I, I, I petered out in game six and basically didn't show up. He had... Multiple turnovers that were horrendous. He was in foul trouble. It was almost like, is James Harden trying to throw this game? Is James Harden doing a Kobe Bryant, what Kobe Bryant did in Sacramento for the first half where Bryant didn't shoot the ball just to prove a point because his teammates were whining and complaining that he shot too much, which he did. So he said, I'll show you. I won't shoot at all. Is, is James Harden trying to make that kind of point? Because we need him to do something. This is game six. If we lose, we're going to be eliminated. And he ain't doing shit. And it seemed like he ain't giving a fuck. And then after the game, you find out that he's out there in the club partying? What the fuck? So there was, it was that situation. Then there was 2018. Isn't that the year that James Harden won the MVP? Game 7 against the Golden State Warriors? Again, as I mentioned before, basically it was the NBA championship. Anybody who won that game was going to beat the Cleveland depleted Cleveland Cavaliers. Here's a chance for Harden to finally get that illustrious you know, title, the NBA championship. All he had to do was beat the dynasty, which was the Golden State Warriors. Chris Paul was out because of a pulled hamstring. So this was a game for James Harden to do a Magic Johnson, right? 42 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists. Magic Johnson game 6 against the Philadelphia 76ers back in 1980 when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar twisted his ankle in game 5 and couldn't make it. And everybody thought that the uh, Sixers with Julius and Caldwell Jones and Andrew Tony and Mo Cheeks and Bobby Jones were going to be going back to the forum to uh, play Kareem in Game 7. But Magic said, nope, I'm starting at center. I'm going to jump against Caldwell, and I'm going to take this game over. Where were you? We needed that type of performance from you, James. Your legacy is at stake. What did he do? Oh, he scored 32 points. But the devil's in the details. Shot the ball 29 times. He was 12 for 29. He shot 2 or 13 from three-point range. Stephen Curry stepped up. Played a hell of a game. Where was the MVP? On his home floor. The biggest game of his career. One of the biggest games in franchise history. 12 of 29? 2 of 13? You're supposed to be the best player in the game? Again? You come up short? Tell me again how we're going to win a championship with you? 2019, game six at home against the Golden State Warriors. Remember after Kevin Durant tore his Achilles Achilles in game uh, five? Golden State held on to win that game at Oracle. Came back to game six. What happened? Harden shot 11 to 25 from the field. Six to 15 from deep. Houston lost. I remember Houston was talking a whole bunch of smack during that season about how they've got Golden State's number. And at the end of that game, Golden State was basically laughing at those guys. Draymond, Clay, Steph, Coach Kerr. I mean, they were just laughing at their asses. Like, yeah, who's your daddy, bitch? 
Thank you very much. Again, where was the... They were playing without Kevin Durant. The Warriors were playing without Kevin Durant. How am I going to feel comfortable building a squad around James Harden when in a game like this, in an opportunity like this, you do this? <sighs> so those are the questions that uh, the Houston Rockets are going to have to deal with. So I don't envy them. But as I mentioned before, you take a look at the financial situation of the owner. You take a look at the financial plight of our nation, of our world. You take a look at the virus. You take a look at the compromises in revenue streams that are not going to be available to the NBA. When everything is all said and done, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, anybody else for the Houston Rockets, any other teams want them, give me a call. Uh, zoom me let's talk because in the trade business for Harden and Westbrook I'm selling Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Friday night, feeling alright, holding the microphone and I'm holding it tight. Um, speaking about what's going on in the NBA, talking about what's happening in the offseason, the season's going to be commencing on December 22nd, TNT, December 25th, they'll have a full slate of NBA games, I don't know if they've come up with the schedule yet, I haven't seen anything Concerning that, haven't really been looking with the NBA and with the NFL going on and college football and thoughts and prayers go out to Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards, who has come down with COVID-19. I know he's in the age group where that's something where you just can't, you know, laugh off or dismiss or anything like that. So I hope that uh, he can go ahead and uh, rebound from that. But because of that, the Arizona State game is canceled. Hey, look, man, if you're listening to the show on Saturday there ain't nothing on football. There's no college football. This SEC games, both of them have been canceled or postponed. You know, the Pac-12 games, you got a couple of games that's been postponed. I don't even know, 9 o'clock out here tomorrow morning, what the 9 a.m. game is going to be. I, I think CBS, they're not going to be showing any games because all the SEC games have been uh, canceled or postponed. So, you know what, if you're going to be, uh, you know, inside, or if you're going to be taking the drive, if you're going to be taking a hike, if you're just going to be chilling, relaxing or whatever, and not listening to... Uh, any type of TV or anything like that, not listening to any type of music. Hey, man, turn on this bad boy. Listen to me ramble on and go on and do my thing and listen about and talk about what's going on in the world of uh, the NBA and the world of college basketball and my thoughts and feelings about the 1963 NBA Finals Game 6 between the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm fired up, man. I am fired up tonight for some reason. I slept all day after having a really good day teaching uh, I'm doing the, uh, you know, homeschool, you know, the kids aren't allowed out here in Clark County to be in the, uh, on the school grounds. So everybody's doing the Google meets and staying at home and virtual classrooms and all that kind of stuff. So 
this past week was absolutely awesome. I had the pleasure, the honor to go ahead and substitute for two really, really good schools out here in Clark County and two really, really good classes. Give it up, special dedication going to uh, the uh, kids, the freshmen at ATEC and the freshmen today at Southwest Career and Technical Academy. Those kids are so doggone good. Those kids are so doggone respectful. Those kids are so doggone wonderful. I mean, I, I want to, if I had the money, I would, and if the, the strip in Vegas wasn't such a fucking hellhole in terms of, uh, you know, people shooting each other and assaulting each other and all those type of things, if I had the money, each one of those students who I've had this week at 8 Tech and Southwest Career Tech, I would, I would pay for their parents, their guardians, who's ever raising those kids. Man, y'all go down to either the Cosmopolitan or one of the really fancy-dancy places on the Strip. Get the nicest suite that you can have. Everything is on me. Room service, whatever you want to do. If I had like, if I had like serious, serious money, that's what I would do, man. Those, I don't know what you're doing in terms of how you're raising those kids. But y'all need to write a book. Y'all need to go on a speaking tour. Y'all need to educate some of these other parents because those kids were just flipping awesome. Smart, intelligent, and made me, every time I ended a, a class with that, I just sat back and said, yeah, man, this society actually had the chance. If we can get those kids, if those kids can continue to be who they are as they get older, as wonderful and smart, intelligent, intelligent and talented as they are, I want them kids. Those are the kids I want taking care of me when I get older and I can't do anything. If I'm still around living and I still remember who I am in my 60s and 70s and 80s and going on, I don't think I'll make it to 90, but you know, my in my elder years, those are the type of people who I want taking care of me. Those kids who are going to be trans, who are going to be growing into adults, those are the type of kids I want taking care of me and my country and and this world when I get older. What a what a bunch of what a wonderful day. What a bunch of great kids. I don't care, man. I I I really enjoy substitute teaching. At least in Clark County. I really do. I'll never give that up. I can hit mega bucks tomorrow and I would still um I would still go ahead and um substitute teach three or four times a week. I, I, I really enjoy it. And you know, I, I miss those losers. I really do. Not being able to go into the classroom. I miss them. I do. So those uh those kids are just awesome. Thought I'd throw that out there. Wendell, and congratulations to the parents for raising wonderful, wonderful kids. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, we got all this stuff here. NBA coming up. Houston Rockets. What's going on? What's happening? What's going down? I mentioned before, the Rockets, they're battling the LA Clippers for the most dysfunctional locker room for the 2019-2020 season. You know, everybody was upset with the Clippers about Kawhi not participating in practices and getting off when he wants to and, you know, going down to San Diego to take days off. Meanwhile, the guys have to stay in L.A. and they don't get days off and they don't do anything like that. Why does he get all that kind of stuff? And why does he get those type of privileges? And we don't. And Paul George looking for the same thing and still telling the teammates, you need to do this and you need to do that. And Montrez and Lou Williams and Pat Beverly are looking at those guys going, really, seriously? You're up here preaching and talking about hard work to us. And you're up here thinking about trying to take days off and showing up like a bitch when we need it the most. 
Really? You're up there trying to lead us like you're LeBron James without being LeBron James in terms of skill, in terms of accomplishments? Come on, man. Get the fuck out of my face. So everything, everything with the Clippers was just a real hot mess. Lou Williams leaving the, leaving the um, campus in Orlando because of a death in the family. And he stops off to just get lemon pepper chicken wings at a strip joint. And it was just... It was just like one nonsense thing after the other. So the Clippers, if anybody would write a book or if anybody would do a 30 for 30, uh, that would be an interesting look at the Clippers this season where you would take a look and say, oh, yeah, no wonder they got beaten in the second round. Or I can't believe they even got that far with this, how much they hated each other and distrusted each other. And there was no chemistry and there was no togetherness. There was no unity. There was no... Uh, being of one of getting to the goal that they wanted to get to. No wonder that team flamed out when it did. Same thing can be said for the Houston Rockets for the 2019-20 season. It's been reported by Sam Anik and Sharm Sharanaya and Kelly Iko of the Athletic, Athletic that there were issues team-wide behind the scenes during the 2019-2020 campaign. There were reported issues with accountability and various concerns from Shooting guards like Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker and Austin Rivers and those things just festered over time and it became prevalent. And by the time the season was over, they were probably like, I cannot wait to get the fuck out of here. Those type of issues were happening before they got to Orlando. Now you put those guys in that type of environment. I'm quite sure near the end of like game five of the uh, Lakers series, those motherfuckers could not wait to A, get the hell out of Orlando and B, Get the hell away from anybody associated with the Houston Rockets. So the Athletic reported of a January locker room meeting following a home loss to Portland, right? Where Russell Westbrook called a team meeting. He was the one who was leading the team meeting. He went around the room indicating what was wrong and what each player needed to do to fix the losing streak. And most importantly, he started with himself. So he didn't Ricky Waters the situation by saying, hey, I'm doing great, but you suck, you suck, you suck, and you suck. He started off by speaking about what he needs to do. Now, maybe some people felt that he wasn't critical enough and maybe he didn't put enough blame on himself or maybe he put too much blame on other people and not on himself. Who knows? But the fact that he was accountable enough to call the meeting and then in terms of if I'm going to be talking about, and we don't know exactly how he um, went at it in terms of discussing what they needed to do. We don't know if he did it in a negative fashion. We don't know if he did it in a more positive fashion. Hey, you're better than that. We need for you to do this. And I know that you can do this and we'll do everything that you can, but you got to step up and I know you can or a situation like that. So we don't know exactly the tenor, the tone or the way it was delivered by Westbrook. But when it came to James, when it came to James Harden and Westbrook was pointing out some of the things he needed to do with his game to help his team start winning, uh, Harden didn't appreciate that too much. He wasn't really as receptive to the criticism as the other teammates, and this was according to a source who was privy to what went down at the meeting. So when you all hate each other, I mean, of course you're going to be like, yeah, let me tell you about what happened at this meeting. Let me th throw James Harden under the bus. The Athletic also reported that former teammates have described the culture in Houston as problematic and emphasize a situation that caters far too much to his stars. It's been known that uh, Dan Tony was not a guy who was a confrontational guy. I mean, this isn't someone like Rick Carlisle. This isn't someone like Doc Rivers. This isn't someone like Ray Popovich who's going to, you know, tell you in no certain 
uncertain terms uh, what you are and what you're not doing. So um, uh, Mike D'Antoni was not that type of guy. So anything in terms of not being able to hold its stars accountable and when the Houston Rockets, we know who its stars are, right? J-H-R-W. So there you go. Austin Rivers was unhappy with his inconsistent play in playing time and utilization of his role on the team. In fact, one example, Rivers, Austin Rivers, right? He wanted an expletive-laden tie rate during the game where D'Antoni called, called for him to be substituted. And then after he, you know, let him have it, you know, D'Antoni put him back in the game. What? <laughs> uh, you got to ignore that shit. You got to be like, yeah, whatever, man. Go ahead and curse and do whatever you need to do, but sit your ass on the bench and get the fuck away from me. But no, I mean, Dan Tony was like, oh, I'm, okay, I'm sorry, put him back in. I get the other players were like, really? Austin Rivers? I mean, Westbrook, okay. Harden, okay. Austin Rivers? You're going to get punked by Austin Rivers? Interesting. And another example where Rivers was like, really, man, you got to go there with me on that one? Rivers was barked at by Harden after James missed the free throw, and then he blamed Austin Rivers. Now, why would James Harden blame Austin Rivers for him missing a free throw? It's because Austin Rivers was standing up on the bench and Harden thought that was distracting. What? I'm sorry. Where exactly was the bench during this time? Did they put the bench underneath the basket? Wait a minute. I don't know if it was a road or home game. But you know, during the road, when the players are shooting, the opposing players are shooting at the rim or doing the free throws, you know you got the fans behind the backboard waving their hands and oh, missing, 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 you ugly bitch. I mean, all these type of things and everything. So you're going to try to tell me, and the benches, of course, are to the side. So unless James Harden is shooting free throws with his peripheral vision, all of a sudden, Austin Rivers, just by standing up, was Austin Rivers shouting things at him? Was Austin Rivers mimicking throwing things at him? What's, what in the hell was going on to where James Harden had to go ahead and blame Austin Rivers for standing up because of, and that's the reason why he missed a free throw. What? Man, I know Austin Rivers gets picked on. I mean, I know when he was with the Clippers that Chris Paul just verbally just put a beat down on him like you wouldn't believe. And Austin was man enough to take it. But still, it's like, what the fuck, man? You actually, you're actually going to go there with me? You're going to blame me for a bitch free throw because I was standing up? Say what? I've seen those outfits you've worn in games where you haven't played. Talk about fucking distracting. So that was, uh, that's the type of shit that was going down regarding Austin Rivers. P.J. Tucker, on the other hand, it had nothing to do with him. His, you know, him being upset had nothing to do with players or coaches or playing time or anything like that. His deal was he was terribly upset over his contract situation. And that festered all season long. He thought that, you know, he deserved a raise after seeing, you know, other guys who played his role on a team getting better contracts. And he was like, really? I mean, I'm up here six foot five. I only shoot corner threes. I'm up here guarding the Steven Adams of the world, the Joe M. Beads of the world, because you guys want to play small ball. So, in essence, I got to be the one who's going to take on these monsters. I'm getting beat up. I'm getting, uh, you know, abused throughout the regular season. Meanwhile, I see this guy on this team, this guy on this team, this guy on this team, not doing nearly the work that I'm doing, don't nearly have the responsibility that I have. It's not doing it nearly as well as I'm doing it. And he's getting paid this much, and I'm not getting paid that much. Or he's getting paid this amount more than me, and I'm not. 
or his acceptance or this on this contract and I don't have anything like that on mine? Well, shit, what the hell going on like that? So, he also reportedly felt insulted that Houston delayed extension talks and didn't guarantee his 2020-21 salary until the February 6, 2020 trade deadline passed. So basically what that meant was they were looking about trading him. So you talk about if you're P.J. Tucker, you're like, oh, that's, that's what you think about me, huh? Okay, well, <laughs> interesting. Again, Eric Gordon was upset about his role on the team. I don't know, maybe if Eric Gordon could stay injury-free for a little bit, I mean, maybe they would have given him a, a much bigger role, but, you know, I mean, here was a guy who shot a lot. Here was a guy who had the off- offensive freedom. Here was a guy who was basically the number three guy in terms of the importance of the offense, in terms of scoring is concerned. I mean, he had freedom to uh, express himself on offense with the ball in his hand, so I don't know exactly what he was upset about. I don't know. I don't know. It's not a, not a criticism. I'm not blaming Eric Gordon. It would be interesting to hear his explanation about why he was upset about the role on this team. Maybe he wanted to, to expand the role. I don't know what, again, I don't know exactly what expanding his role on the team would incur, especially on the offensive end, because Eric Gordon was a guy who, you wanted to shoot threes, shoot threes. If you wanted to shoot Stephen Curry type threes, shoot them. If you wanted to drive to the basket and do your thing, drive to the basket and do your thing. So, I don't know. I would be interested to see what he was upset about. So, here on Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I mentioned this before, man. Time for the Houston, <laughs> Time for the Houston Rockets to get, get that team philosophy on a rocket ship and take it to the motherland and start all over again. Memphis, Denver, Dallas. Look at look at these guys. You got Dallas. Luka is 21 and already setting the world on fire in the NBA. You got Porzingis who's 25 years old, and when he's not injured, can be a nice number two guy for Luka. And Dallas is still looking for another part to give them a big three, whether that's going to be someone like a a Zach Levine or anybody like that. Cuban and the boys are still looking out there to see what they can do to bring in another talent to improve those guys. I guess Tim Hardaway Jr. ain't getting it done in that role. So Dallas is a team that's on the rise and is looking to get better much quicker than maybe some anticipated. Denver, not only do they have Nikola Jokic, who arguably is the best center in the league, the best big man in the league from Europe, he's 25. Jamal Murray, who uh, balled out in some important games. I mean, I'm quite sure that the Houston Rockets were like, man, you know what? If we had Jamal Murray playing like he did, if we had Jamal Murray, uh, the, the Jamal Murray that was in game, what, seven or the deciding game against Utah or a couple of games in the Utah series, or the deciding game against the Los Angeles Clippers, if James Harden could have given us a Jamal Murray type of performance in the game that meant something for the Houston Rockets, maybe we would be talking about James Harden being a multiple-time MVP and multiple, excuse me, multiple-time uh, NBA champion. And none of this nonsense about what we need to do with the Houston Rockets and are we going to change uh, trade James Harden, none of that stuff comes to a discussion point. Jamal Murray, at 23 years old, has already had as many big games by multitudes over James Harden, who's been in this league almost over 10. He's 23. So Denver's got Jokic, who's 25. Murray, who's 23, who who the Denver Nuggets made it to the uh, conference finals. Oh, and by the way, the wild card in all of this, Michael Porter Jr. That man, that man at the age of 22... 
everybody's talking about, oh man, Tyler Hero, man, his confidence, his confidence, his confidence. Man, you think Tyler Hero has some confidence in himself. Watch Michael Porter Jr. play. I mean, he makes Kobe Bryant at a young age look shy and tentative and, uh, and, and, and tentative when it comes to uh, doing some things with the basketball on the offensive end. Michael, uh, Michael Porter has confidence in his game in droves. This is a guy who, after one of the games against the Clippers, I think when they fell down 3-1, to one, actually came out, was up there criticizing the team in the press conference about what they need to do to get better. Michael Porter Jr., I'm sorry, who the fuck are you? I'm Nicole Jokic. Michael Porter Jr., I'm sorry, who the fuck are you? If I'm Jamal Murray, I'm sorry, Michael Porter Jr., who the fuck are you? If I'm Paul Millsap, you're going to put me on blast like that? What the fuck have you ever done in this league? That's Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> I mean, confidence, confidence abounds. Got that Kobe Bryant uh, uh, at a young age immature complex. You're like, you know, fuck it, I'm the man. Why not? So you've got Denver, who's rising. You've got the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. They're both 21 years old, and they're going to get better. So if you're the if you're the Houston Rockets, yikes. You know, they don't have any first-round picks for a while. They owe uh, Oklahoma City their 2024 and 2026 first-round picks, top four protected. And Oklahoma City has top ten protected swap rights with Houston in 2021-2025. Rockets also don't have a first-round pick in this year's NBA draft because of uh, having the trade of uh, Capella come back to bite them. So not too much flexibility for Houston. Not too much at all. So it's going to be a long, long season for the Houston Rockets unless they get some shit together with their with their bullshit. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Got some NBA off-season, off-the-court news since the end of the season. Mentioned before about the NBA coaching carousel. God damn it. I wish the NBA wouldn't... I wish the NFL wasn't so doggone interesting for me to sit there. I wish I had a little bit more time to uh, go ahead when the expiration dates on these topics were a little bit more fresh for me to talk about, uh, you know, the coaching carousel. The NBA had 10 coach openings this offseason. Brooklyn, Chicago, Cleveland, Houston, Indiana, the Clips, New Orleans, the Knicks, OKC, Philadelphia. So you have Steve Nash going to Brooklyn, Billy Donovan going from Oklahoma City to the Chicago Bulls. J.B. Bickerstaff, son of Bernie Bickerstaff, was assistant coach with the Washington Bullets back in the day, lifelonger. He um, gets the opportunity again to coach. He used to coach Houston for a short amount of time after Kevin McHale got fired. He's now the coach at Cleveland. Steven Silas, mentioned before, the son of Paul Silas. I believe that he was on the staff with uh, Steve Clifford. Don't know if he was on the staff when the um, Cavaliers, when Paul Silas, his father, was the coach of the Cavaliers. But I know that he's Harvard-educated, went to Brown, smart guy, um, was an important part of the defensive structure of, oh, what fucking team did he, did he play on before? I think it was Dallas. So, yeah, so he played a large part with the success of Dallas and Rick Carlisle on his staff. He's the new coach at Houston. You have Ty Lue with the Clippers, Stan Van Gundy with the New Orleans Hornets. Tom Thibodeau, who's going to run, um, he's going to run, um, oh my goodness gracious, oh, the Canadian who's really, really good, R.J. Barrett, and the rest of those young players, he's going to run them into the ground and not listen to analytics. He's now the coach of the New York Knicks, Mitchell Robinson. Get yourself in shape because you're going to be playing 40-something minutes a game regardless. 
And then you got Doc Rivers in uh, Philadelphia, along with Nate Bork, uh, Bork, Borkin, I think. He's the coach of Indiana. Indiana fired Nick McMillan because they were like, we need to, we want, um, we want the team to run more. Have you seen the team? Have you seen the way the team is constructed? That's on Kevin Pritchard, the GM. Nick McMillan didn't do, didn't shop for the groceries. He didn't buy those groceries. I mean, that's what he had to work with. You're really going to run with uh, Sabonis and, and, um, oh shit, the kid from Texas. Oh, God, I cannot. Miles Turner. So you're going to be, so Sabonis, Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo was hurt. So, you know, your best athlete was no longer around. And when he came back, you know, he wasn't the Victor Oladipo that we all knew. Who on that team are you going to say run more, run more, run more? I mean, I, I, I don't I don't see that one. I don't get that one. I mean, they want to run, shoot threes. Basically, I get they want to play like a quasi-Houston Rockets-style offense. That's, that's fine. Don't you need the personnel to do that? And also, if you have your best player being uh, Sabonis, don't you want to try to center somewhere around him? Now, yes, you need to put some shooters around him, but... I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, are you going to, if you change your philosophy and you want to shoot more threes, isn't Miles Turner a better three-point shooter than Sabonis? So moving forward with the Indiana Pacers, yeah, I mean, I know that you're upset that the um, Pacers lost and got swept by the Miami Heat this year. And I believe the year before that, they lost to the Boston Celtics. And the main thing was those guys just couldn't score enough. That was pretty obvious. But again, it's up to the GM to go ahead and make some moves to bring in some uh, players that could score. I mean, it's very nice that you got T.J. Warren there, but, I mean, T.J. Warren is a nice player who can shoot and everything. He doesn't need the ball that much in terms of running plays, isos, and everything for him to score. But, I mean, he's not the uh, fleetest of foot, and he's not the greatest of athletes either if you're going to be looking to play that type of style. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do when they go. Doc Rivers, interesting, because Doc... Doc made his bones. The career of Doc Rivers in terms of, and I always have to mention this, Black America's head coach. Doc Rivers is the guy who, you know, made his reputation in terms of being a great coach by taking the Orlando Magic at the time when those guys were basically looking to tank because they were just clearing cap space at the time because they were going to try to, they were going to try to be one of the teams that the um, they were trying to be the heatles of D Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron before all that shit got started. You know, try to build your team through the through, through free agency. They were looking to at the time get themselves Grant Hill, who was with Detroit, Tim Duncan, who was coming up on his first contract with the uh, San Antonio Spurs, and Tracy McGrady, who was uh, lounging in Toronto and foolishly. Wanted to play in, uh, wanted to play in the racist, ignorant, selfish states of America. He didn't want to play in Canada. He didn't want to take advantage of some of the most beautiful women walking this planet on the streets of Toronto and in the province of, of Ontario. He wanted to go ahead and get out of there like his cousin Vince Carter did. So basically, Orlando was like, look, we're just clearing cap space. We know we're going to stink. Just don't have a stink too bad. So that's what Rivers' job was when he got to Orlando back in the day. We're going to stink, but let's not just be super embarrassing. Let's not be 9-73 and 73 embarrassing, all right? Let's not be 
Quinn Buckner, Dallas Mavericks, Jamal Mashburn, Jimmy Jackson, Jason Kidd type of embarrassing. All right? Let's just kind of hold for it. Well, he did more than that. He had Daryl Armstrong used to drink like two cups, two pints of coffee at halftime and go bouncing off the walls. And he had a couple of others, those other players. The Orlando Magic made the playoffs with a 41-41 and 41 record, which is the equivalent almost of a really good team going 68 and, I don't know, 68 and 14 or whatever. I mean, that was amazing. He won Coach of the Year by bringing a team to a 500 record. Now, unfortunately, they got themselves, they got, unfortunately, they went ahead that offseason, signed Tracy McGrady, signed Grant Hill, missed out on Tim Duncan, who decided to stay in San Antonio. I mean, David Robinson and some of the veterans came over and said, please, Tim, for God's fucking sake, don't leave. I'm begging you. Because it was close. The relationship that Tim Duncan had built with Doc Rivers at the time when Doc was a radio broadcaster for the San Antonio Spurs, to which Greg Popovich kind of like was kind of looking at a evil eye, like, "Why are you so fucking friendly with my best player? Aren't you supposed to just be, you know, doing the play-by-play? Why the fuck are you always like, what's up, my man?" And this, that, and what, what's up with this? Well, now we found out what was up with this. But Duncan, because of his loyalty to the Spurs organization, Robinson, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, Greg Popovich said, "I'll stay." So. Orlando had to settle for um, Greg. He had to settle for um, um, who am I thinking about? Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady. Well, unbeknownst to everybody in the league, including Grant Hill, who had broken his ankle in the playoff series for the Detroit Pistons, that ankle never healed. Surgery after surgery after surgery, and never healed. So there was a four or five year stretch where Grant Hill never played. So basically, that whole taking deal went to hell because it only got them Tracy McGrady and a bunch of bums. And um, Doc still got the best out of those teams. So that's where Doc Rivers built his reputation of being a really good coach. Not by coming out and doing what Nick Nurse did and winning a championship right off the bat or anything like that. It was taking a team full of garbage. And when I say garbage, I mean as far as NBA players, elite players are concerned. I mean, anybody who makes the NBA is far from garbage in any way, shape, or form as a basketball player. But as far as NBA-level playing is concerned, he took below-average guys and turned them into a playoff type of team. So then he goes to the Boston Celtics, and he gets himself the polar opposite of a team full of hard-working nobodies. You know, due to the trade for Danny of uh, Danny H that he made with a with a good buddy Kevin McHale, gave him the opportunity to get Kevin Garnett, paired him up with Paul Pierce, a draft day trade from Seattle brought over Ray Allen. They drafted Ray John Rondo. The Celtics for three years were one of the elite teams in the NBA. Doc Rivers, after coach, won himself a championship. If it wasn't for an injury to Kendrick Perkins and Kevin uh, Kevin uh, Garnett. The Celtics would have won another championship, and then they lost to the Orlando Magic, where they basically ran out of gas, losing the final game at home. So during that time, it was, you know, Doc Rivers was lauded for his ability to be able to mesh these type of uber alpha dog type players, Garnett, Allen, and Paul Pierce, into one so quickly, and then winning a championship. Tom Thibodeau was also on that coaching staff, and the defense for Boston was outstanding. So we go through all that to get to the Clippers. So when he was brought over, when 
The Celtics, you know, when Pierce and Garnett were traded to the Brooklyn Nets and Rajon was the only one left and a couple of other things that were going on and it looked like, you know, the Celtics were going to be rebuilding again and Doc was like, I've been winning too much. I've been through the Orlando experience. I don't want to do that shit again. Then he was hired or he was traded. Basically, the coach was traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. That's at the time where it was like they had Blake Griffin and they had DeAndre Jordan and they had just acquired Chris Paul and it was like, oh my goodness, we got these three great players. No, Chris Paul was there uh, before. He was with Vinny Del Negro. But basically, so Rivers came over with that team. And then I think that offseason they got themselves J.J. Redick a shooter. So it was like, holy fucking shit, man. The Clippers are going to be here. The Clippers are going to be there. The Clippers, 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 Clippers. Well, they didn't win a championship while Doc was the coach over there. And through two incarnations of the Los Angeles Clippers, it was pretty dysfunctional. If you take a look at the first go-around with Blake and DeAndre and Chris Paul, and the whole Donald Sterling thing wasn't a, you know, wasn't a good mesh. Um, you know, they had to fight through that, you know, this, the Sterling situation. But the Clippers were a team where they just didn't like each other. They were talented as hell. Blake Griffin jumping over, you know, jumping over cars and, you know, while the, uh, while the choir was singing gospel hymns and the dunk contest and, doing all this stuff, and Blake was supposed to be that next Uber superstar, and Chris Paul, and Lob City, and all that kind of stuff, but behind the scenes, it was like, well, whose team is this? Is it Chris Paul's team? Is it uh, Blake Griffin's team? The personality of Chris Paul rubs some players the wrong way. You know, he Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, Jordan didn't like, didn't appreciate being yelled at the way Chris Paul was yelling at those guys. I mean, nothing personal. That's just Chris Paul being Chris Paul. So basically, it just got to the point where, you know, the Clippers of that team didn't like each other. And they were just, a, they, they were fun to watch. I mean, being out here in the West Coast and watching a lot of those Clipper games, they just weren't a group that was fun to watch. Nobody else liked them. They had rivalries with the Portland Trailblazers. Terry Stotts and Doc Rivers got into it a couple of times. And the Memphis Grizzlies didn't like them. Zach Randolph and Blake Griffin got into it a couple of times. And, you know, teams were calling Blake Griffin soft and a phony and a diva and all this kind of stuff. It was just ugly. It was just ugly. And they underperformed. So by the time they lost, Chris Paul decided, you know what, I'm going to Houston. J.J. Reddick said, I want to be anywhere but here. They traded Blake Griffin to the Detroit Pistons. DeAndre Jordan thought about moving or going to the Dallas Mavericks. And those guys had to run over and hold them hostage until he recanted and came back to the Clippers. And then he left the first time he got an opportunity after that. So it was just, ugh, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't good. So now... Doc comes back to a team full of nobodies and hard workers and everything like that. And the Clippers overachieve. They make it to the first round of the playoff with guys like Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly and Donato Gallinari and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Montrez Harold and all of these guys. You know, the parts fit well. They're hardworking. They're coachable. And, you know, Doc is talking about this is the best, most fun I've had coaching a team in years and years and years. So they make it to the second round, blah, blah, blah. Again, Rivers gets votes for Coach of the Year. Some of the luster that was uh, taken off from the Lob City uh, era when he was the coach. Some of the, um, you know, some of that reputation that was dented because of the way he handled that squad that was repaired in that one year that the Clippers overachieved. Then they go out and get themselves Kawhi and Paul George and woo! 
here we go, championship, championship, championship. And in that one year, we see what happens. So I don't know exactly what to make of Doc Rivers becoming the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers because how is he going to deal with the relationship of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who I guess they tolerate each other, but they're never going to like each other. They're never going to, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And in the NBA, how much do you need for your star to quote unquote like each other? I mean, I really don't care if they, I mean, they don't have to hang out with each other. They don't have to hang out in the off season with each other. They don't have to go boating and fishing or name their children after each other. I'm not interested in that bullshit. But when they're together on the court, when they're together in the facility, when they have to work together, are those guys going to mutually uh, respect each other enough to get that done? And I think so far, with a relationship in in terms of the relationships regarding that with um, with Embiid and Simmons, I think it's to be determined. So, what kind of impact is Doc going to have on those guys? Is he going to have the same impact that he had when he had Pierce, Garnett, and Allen, or is he going to have the same impact that he had when they had Griffin, Paul, DeAndre Jordan, or Kawhi? Paul George, and the rest of that squad. It'll be interesting. Doc is a guy where it's like, look, you know, I'm a I'm a veteran's coach. We don't practice that much. We don't do too many walkthroughs or any of that nonsense. You know, you guys are professionals. I expect you guys to go ahead and do what you need to do to get ready for uh, these games. Are you going to put that trust into Joel Embiid? Are you going to put that type of trust into Ben Simmons? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So, moving forward, I think the best fit is Ty Lue with the Clippers. He served at the assistant under Doc Rivers last season. He's familiar with the Clippers, familiar with the roster, familiar with the organization, familiar with some of the things that brought down the Clippers. So, he knows how to coach a superstar who has a uh, unique personality. See Kyrie Irving. He is used to coaching the ultimate alpha dog in sports, see LeBron James. He's very good with players who need direction and guidance and some pushing and pulling and some cheerleading and some conjoling to get the best out of them, see Kevin Love. And he's also worked for an owner who's uh, uh, unconventional, shall we say, see Dan Gilbert. So I think some of the issues as far as the uh, chemistry and the cohesion, I think some of the things that um, happened last season that was afforded Kawhi Leonard are going to be taken away, especially Paul George. And you also have to remember that, uh, you know, these two guys, George and Kawhi, more George than Leonard, these guys are should be coming back with something to prove, especially Paul George, who uh, basically right now, I think his reputation is somewhere around bitch mode. So he, he needs to come back and really... Not, I guess it's going to take till the playoffs to for him to repair his reputation uh, in terms of being one of the top players of the game. Regular season playoff, uh, regular season uh, Paul George is great. Playoff piece stinks. So this man can go ahead and have 50 points a game and 27 rebounds and 8 assists for the upcoming season. It ain't going to do diddly for Paul George if he... Uh, you know, if he's not dominant, or at least if he doesn't, uh, you know, really show up and show out in the playoffs. But I think in a situation like this, I think Ty Lue is the uh, best 
best person to get it out of them. So that'll be interesting. So Steve Nash with the Denver with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Hey, they're bringing in Mike D'Antoni. I think they, I think they're going after Nate McMillan or another assistant coach. I've always said this. I mean, you take both ends of the spectrum when you're speaking about these type of hires of, of players, former players, former great players who really haven't had any on-the-bench experience. I mean, we've seen guys like Derek Fisher with the Knicks. We've seen guys like Jason Kidd with the Brooklyn Nets. We've seen Larry Bird with the Indiana Pacers. Which one of those type of coaches is Steve Nash going to be? Now, Larry Bird had the advantage when he was coaching the Indiana Pacers of A being Larry Bird. So the respect right there is immediate. But he also had Dick Harder and Rick Carlisle, two really, really, really good assistants on his staff. Rick Carlisle was the offensive coordinator. Dick Carter, Dick Harder was the defensive coordinator. Harder was a lifelonger in terms of coaching in the NBA. Rick Carlisle, who was Larry Bird's uh, teammate when he was with the Boston Celtics, we've seen the success that he's had now with the Dallas Mavericks. So Bird had the advantage of having a really good coaching staff with him when he coached those two or three years with the Indiana Pacers. That's one of the things I think if they can bring in Nate McMillan, and you're speaking about having D'Antoni be the offensive coordinator, uh, Nate McMillan being the defensive coordinator, he was always known as a very good defensive coach when he was coaching the Portland Trailblazers and the Indiana Pacers. So I think the opportunity is there for Steve Nash to have good success right out the gate because you know the respect is going to be there. Now, dealing with Kyrie Irving, more so than Kevin Durant, whose mood swings depend on, you know, what you tweet him or what you text him. It's going to be interesting with that. I think one of the great things about D'Antoni and Nick McMillan being those coaches, I think if they could get Nick McMillan, is the fact that Nash can really pay closer attention to the comings and goings and the mood swings or whatever you want to call them of Kyrie Irving. And, uh, you know, Irving was one of these guys where, you know, he didn't, he didn't mesh well with the Boston Celtics. Why? Because the Celtics, you're dealing with Jason Tatum and you're dealing with Jalen Brown and you're dealing with all these young guys who haven't been experienced enough in the NBA to deal with a personality like Kyrie Irving. When Irving was with the Cleveland Cavaliers and you had veterans like Richard Jefferson and LeBron and Kevin Love and Channing Frye and these guys, when, you know, Irving would go into one of these mood swings or go into one of these places, you know, personally, you know, personality-wise, and would go days without talking with anybody. You know, no one on the no one on the Cleveland Cavaliers really gave a damn. You know, yep, Richard Jefferson just shrugged his shoulders. Channing Fry just shrugged his shoulders. Kevin Love shrugged his shoulders. You know, well, whatever. I mean, that's just Kyrie being Kyrie. I guess it ain't gonna let it get to me. I ain't gonna it ain't gonna bother me. Same with LeBron. You know, whatever. As long as he shows up and plays, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, if he, if he talks to me or not, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, when he once he comes out of this funk, we'll still be here. So, whatever. So that was the attitude with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Those guys were veterans. I mean, they didn't give a fuck. Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry, we're trying to win championships. You know, I don't need Kyrie Irving to be buddy buddy with me. When you take a look at you know the younger Boston Celtics and then a young coach like Brad Stevens, uh, I mean, you know, you say hello to Kyrie and he doesn't say anything to you. If you're, you know, 20-year-old Jason Tatum, 21-year-old Jalen Brown, you're sitting up there talking about, what the fuck's up with this guy? Does he like me? What's his problem? This, that, and the other. So you saw that chemistry between those, between 
Irving and the Celtics not mesh. One of the probably the only player who has played for Brad Stevens in the NBA who probably doesn't have glowing things to say about him as a coach, Kyrie Irving. So I think with um, you know I think with Tyron Lue dealing with that type of bullshit on a regular basis. I mean whatever whatever Kawhi and Uncle Dennis throw at uh, Tyron Lue is like, come on man, I dealt with LeBron and I dealt with LeBron and um, Kyrie and Dan Gilbert. You think that do you think this motherfucker's gonna scare me or intimidate me? And I'm under the tutelage of Doc Rivers. You think anything's gonna scare me or or uh, you know, get in my way of what I need to do? F off. So and I think Lou is also a uh, very good X's and O's guy. Also, but I'm speaking about Steve Nash, but Steve Nash is going to do well at the coach also. So there you go. All right. What else am I going to talk about here? Uh, draft news, draft news, draft news. Let me see. Nothing really too much that I've really discussed or thought about. Um, so let me see here. Yeah. Number of teams are interested in Drew, Hol- and, uh, Drew Holiday of um, New Orleans. Uh, the Lakers interested in DeMar DeRozan. Could, uh, talking about the Spurs, they could, the Spurs would see Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. Ooh, goody, goody, goody. Uh, let me see what else. The Mavericks looking to get better. Um, Zach Levine looking to see what he can do about them. So, yeah, for the most part, that's good enough for right now with the NBA. I'll have more later on on my next podcast, speaking also of what happened this weekend in the NFL. So, is it now time for college basketball? Is now time, it's now time. For college basketball. Can't wait. Woo, I can't wait. Hit, hit my music. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the show. Headed down toward the finish line. Headed down toward the end of the show. I'm so glad we had this time together. College basketball right around the corner. Oh, man. Talk about some of the top-ranked teams this season. Haven't really gotten into it. I've been so focused on Georgetown. I've missed my Georgetown Hoyas so much. But the top-ranked teams this season, Baylor, Gonzaga, Iowa, Villanova, Wisconsin, Illinois. Illinois, how Brad Underwood getting it done. Virginia, Creighton, West Virginia, they're all in the preseason top 15. One of the reasons why, because you take a look at Baylor, Gonzaga, and Villanova, they're the three teams that are ranked in the top three or four in all of the preseason rankings. But the traditional powers, they're still making their presence known in the rankings. Kentucky is somewhere around number nine. I mean, they've got three transfers coming in. They still have the number one rated recruiting class. That's the first time, really. You know, with Duke and Krzyzewski going after all of these, uh, going after the number one guys, uh, you know, Calipari, first time since 2015 he's had a, the uh, number one recruiting class. Now, in those other years, he's finished, what, number two, number three. But uh, this one, he features six of the top 65 recruits in the 2020 class freshman 
top 10 prospects and projected 2021 NBA draft picks are B.J. Boston, who played with LeBron James' kid out in um, L.A., and Terrence Clark. Duke is just outside the top 10. They have no returning players in double figures, and they lost such guys as Vernon Carey and a couple of others, but you have Wendell Moore, and anytime you have a guy named Wendell who's black, you know that he's handsome, you know that he's intelligent, and you know that he talks a lot. So Wendell Moore and freshman uh, Matthew Hurt are now sophomores, and they're probably going to be the ones that are going to be asked to elevate and be the team leaders. Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker are the guys who are veterans who have been there for a few years. Then you have Jalen Johnson, another another five-star recruit. He's going to make the biggest impact, supposedly, for the team in the freshman class that's coming in. Jeremy Roach from Paul VI over in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, who was recorded, recruited by Georgetown but made the mistake of going to Duke. He should, do, he should be the guy who's going to be the starting point guard. Another five-star freshman, DJ Stewart, who played with Tyler Beard out in Chicago. Uh, Tyler Beard is the guy who's going to be going to Georgetown in 2021. He might start, might not start immediately, but he's going to be instant offense for them off the floor. Uh, you know, once he gets on the floor, because he can really shoot. Mark Williams, another guy Georgetown was after, but he chose Duke over Louisville and my Georgetown Hoyas. He could be one of the guys to give them size and defensive ability. He's going to be taking Vernon Carey's place. He's projected to take Vernon Carey's place. So Duke, like I mentioned before, they don't have the they don't have the recruiting class of an RJ and Zion and Cam Reddish or anything like that. They don't have any guys coming in this year that are going to be you know lottery picks projected starting the season. But uh, you know they'll still have guys who came into college as five star recruits, top ten, top fifteen players, top twenty players, and hurt who I think he's all right. Need to put on a little bit of weight. He's never going to be athletic enough to really get down on a get down. But as far as the shooter is concerned, he's going to be pretty good. Wendell Moore, as I mentioned before, great name. He's a you know talented athlete. Uh, let's see if he can improve on the def- uh, on the offensive end. We know what he can do with uh, defense. But those are going to be the two guys. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think this is more of a I think this is more of a Duke being Duke type of glass half full type of deal. When you take a look at programs and you're trying to decide which way you're going to go, you take a look at the coach, you take a look at the program, you take a look at the immediate history, and you say, yeah, in all actuality, I think those guys are going to be able to do the things that they need to do for Duke to be more than relevant. Virginia's supposed to be up there. We'll see what happens for Florida State. They lost a lot too, but you know, Duke is always going to be Duke with Coach K. Kansas, still around the top 10 and I guess they haven't been put on probation yet, right? So they're going to be eligible to play for the for the NCAA championship. They lost their uh, big man. They lost Devin Dotson. But uh, Bill Self is still going to be the guy, the coach, until Greg Popovich retires. Just joking. So a lot of good things going on. Gonzaga, I'm interested in seeing uh, Jalen Shrugs, the uh, guy from Minnesota, the number one point guard in the country, a guy who... We're thinking about maybe playing football also. Here's a guy who's supposed to be a lottery pick, supposed to be a uh, high-ender, the highest, most, um, uh, most uh, you know, the, the biggest recruit that Gonzaga has ever had. Now, since Mark Few was no longer, you know, the little engine that could as far as the program with Gonzaga, now all of a sudden, instead of always going overseas to get themselves uh, some player to go to their school, now all of a sudden, those guys are in the mix for, five-star top 10 lottery pick recruits. I know it started years ago, a few years ago, when they made it to the finals 
against, uh, did they play Duke in the finals? I think they played Duke in the finals where Zach Collins was the first guy for Gonzaga to go ahead after his freshman year to declare for the NBA draft. Now the Zags are starting to get those type of players. So it'll be interesting to see the the environment or it's going to be interesting to see now the direction that the program turns when all of a sudden now Mark Few is coaching guys who are not three and four star recruits or you know, having to go over to Europe, Poland, Australia to get recruits to come over and play for their team. We saw that, you know, with Jay Wright. Jay Wright had to make that transition from here was a guy who was cool getting themselves, you know, guys who were in the top, you know, anywhere between 75 and 100 in terms of ranking is concerned. You know, three and four star recruits let their red shirt, let them grow, let them build a program that way. Now, Jay Wright is starting to get a lot more five-star recruits. Ben Hallen, who was the coach at UCLA, when he got guys like Russell Westbrook, who wasn't highly thought of when he was a high school senior and others, he built a really good team that went to the Final Four for multiple seasons based on guys like Russell Westbrook. You know, talented basketball players, of course. D1 strong basketball players, of course, but they weren't highly recruited, mainly sticking within the Los Angeles area and getting those type of guys. When he all of a sudden started getting five-star recruits from all over the country, that's when UCLA went down a little bit and Halland had to change the way that he recruited and went back to his old style. So it'll be interesting to see if Gonzaga is going to make that turn to where they are going to be recruiting the same type of players as Duke and Kentucky and Kansas and such where they're going to be one and done. It'll be interesting to see if Gonzaga can maintain that success going for the players like that instead of the original formula that Gonzaga and Mark Few had when he took over from Dan Monson years and years ago. So interested to see the college basketball season starting. But like I said, for the first time in a long time, you know, Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke, they're not dominating the top tier of college basketball in the preseason rankings. We'll see what happens as the season goes along, and we'll even see exactly what happens when you throw in the pandemic, how many games can be played, are they going to be playing in a bubble-type situation, can they just get to the NCAA basketball tournament, and if they do get to the NCAA basketball tournament, is it going to be on time, how many teams, blah, blah, blah. We'll see, but I'm really interested, really jonesing for the college basketball season. To start, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Quickly, the Ivy League cancels the basketball season for the 2020-2021 season as part of a ban on the winter sports due to the COVID-19. you got to remember, the Ivy League was also first to cancel all of its fall sports and the first to cancel this basketball conference tournament in March. So if you're going to have somebody lead in terms of uh, college, why not, why not let it be the Ivy League, right? When you've got Harvard, Yale, Brown, Dartmouth, Pennsylvania, and then they ain't they ain't they ain't producing no dummies. They ain't producing no jackasses in terms of folks who can't think, folks who can't make the money, folks who can't uh, you know do some things. Those motherfuckers are gonna be running the world. So, you know, it's it's also very nice. You know, it's the Ivy League, but it's also really nice that none of the players, or the players' parents, or guardians, or the local communities, or the alumni, or anybody like that are protesting the decision of the Ivy League, that they're not trying to bully the conference into changing its mind, trying to, you know, bullying the conference into trying to do what's wrong instead of doing what's right. Nice to see at least one conference out there put meaningful actions to their words when they say 
the student athlete really does matter, that they're really important to us. I know in the Power Five conferences, I know in the Power Five schools, especially when it comes to football, all that is bullshit. When those guys talk about how important the safety and um, and you know the, the the well-being of the student athletes is, we all know that that's bullshit. When you're speaking about the conferences and teams in the Big Twelve, in the Pac-12, in the ACC, in the SEC, in the Big Ten, we know that's nonsense. It's nice to see the Ivy League schools, which hey, let's put it this way: you know what, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, I get it. Their football programs are a lot more important to the school, the university, the local communities, the financial state of those towns and those communities that they're in than, say, the football teams at Harvard or Dartmouth or Yale or or Penn or anything like that. I get it. I understand it. But still, it's nice to know that they actually care and they show it with their actions. No winter sports for the uh, Ivy Leagues. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. As I mentioned before, watch some high school basketball between Team Sizzle. Team Sizzle, my dizzle. Uh, Minnesota, they defeated Yipsy Prep, 878-71. This Yipsy Prep up there in, y- y- what is it? Someplace in Michigan, Yelimsy, Yelimsy. Well, I don't know. Starts with a Y and it's pronounced, I don't know, Asutner. He was, um, that team is being, it features... Imani Bates, he's the number one junior in the country. Team Sizzle, my nizzle, is being, is, uh, their star player is Chet Holmgren, the number one senior in the country. Both played well, both justified their rankings, both finished with a double-double. Bates had 36, shot 11 for 22 from the field, 10 rebounds. Holmgren dominated both ends of the court, finishing with 31 points, 13 of 18, pulled up from three, had 12 rebounds, six block shots. Put the ball on the floor, between his legs, behind his bag, did some moves there. Hey, 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 right? Well, I'm, 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 I'm impressed. But I was watching this game. I don't know who was doing the game in terms of uh, on ESPN. But damn, do you are you motherfuckers part of? Are you related to Chet Holmgren or something? I mean, are you guys the president of the Chet Holmgren fan club? Um, and you're asking for donations because the whole. If I'm a parent watching that game of the other kids that are on the court. Man, when I see you two guys, I'm slapping you in the face and I'm telling you a few things off. Because everything was Holmgren, 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 Bates, Bates, Holmgren, Holmgren, Bates, Holmgren, Holmgren. It's like, God damn. Fucking Chet Holmgren. All right, y'all, calm the fuck down. The kid's good. I watched him play, as I mentioned before, when he was going into his junior year. He's good. Saw him play over here at Bishop Gorman at the uh, at the uh, Nike uh, uh, tournament out here. He's good. Good. Man needs to put on some weight. People calling him baby Porzingis. I don't know if he has the athleticism of Porzingis when Porzingis first came into the league, but he's good. He's good. I want him on my team. His top schools are Gonzaga, Minnesota, Ohio State, Michigan, North Carolina, Memphis, and 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 Georgetown. If the man was smart, Let's take a look at this. Gonzaga, Mark Few, how many NBA players has he coached, right? Rick Matino's kid, I mean, how much money can he uh, you know, send over for Holmgren to stay there? Ohio State, uh, Michigan, I mean, Jawan Howard, okay, I understand that one. North Carolina, I mean, you see what they've done with their last couple of uh, one-and-donners? Nasir Little, bust, not playing much in Portland. Cole Anthony came into the uh, season 
Last season, as a guy who was supposed to be picked in the lottery, everybody has him falling to the mid-20s. Some have him out of the top round, the, the, uh, the, the first round. And you're still going to be going to North Carolina? You're still considering North Carolina? Memphis? Okay, I get it. Penny Hardaway, I get it. But look what he's done with the team that he had full of freshmen. They underachieved. And, you know, James Wiseman, he's going to be going as the lottery pick, and Penny's going to get to be able to pat himself on the back for that one. But name me a place where James Wiseman was going to go to college where he wasn't going to be drafted two, three, or four in the NBA draft this upcoming season. Hell, he couldn't have played. Basically, he didn't play college basketball at all. And uh, he he's going to be drafted high. So, you know, before we start, you know, dancing in the streets about what a great evaluator, what a great, you know, talent developer that Penny Hardaway is. Let's just calm down on that one. Calipari makes me sick when he does all that shit. Hey, you know, you go to my school, you get to go to the NBA. Yeah, because of John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist and all those other guys. If those guys didn't go to Kentucky, I don't think they'd be in the league right now. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if Anthony Davis, if he went to Duke or if he went to uh, Gonzaga or if he went to Michigan State or if he went to Georgetown or if he went to Villanova, Oh, there's no way he would go to the NBA. Hell no. That guy would probably be playing overseas in China. But if you go to Kentucky, and if you play for John Calipari, woo, you're destined to be a number one pick in the draft. Get the fuck out of here. Calipari with that car salesman and bullshit about, oh yeah, you go to my school, you get to go into the NBA, number one. Really? Coach K can't say that shit? Coach K can't do that? And take a look at some of the guys that you put in the NBA who are now doing some real work. Ben on a bayou, Tyler Hero, Devin Booker and such. Why weren't they playing like that in Kentucky? Well, the talent was so great. The talent was so great. The talent was so great. What are you talking about? And all, for all those who are sitting there going, yeah, if you go to Kentucky, you'll be, you know, you know, living large and this, that, and the other, and we automatically put you in the uh, pros. Oh, really? How was um, the Harrison Twins? What team are they playing for? Uh, Aaron Goodwin. Godwin, whatever that kid's name was. What what uh, five star recruit from a, from a while ago? What team is he playing for? Yeah, how much big money and how many all star games is New Orleans Noel making since he went to Kentucky for a year? Huh? How about Daniel? All oh, the other guy, Daniel, the guy who was supposed to go to Georgetown and then he switched and went to Kentucky. Here was another guy. I think he averaged like three points a game and three points and two rebounds a game and declared for the NBA draft. He ain't. He, he was drafted in the first round. His rookie contract was over and we never saw him again. How's Kevin Knox doing with the New York Knicks? So, you know, this this nonsense about, yeah, you know, you go to Kentucky, yeah, you know, you'll be a, you'll be a first-round recruit. Believe me, kids in college basketball who are in the top 10, top 15, I would say about 10 or 11 of them, regardless of where they're going to be going to school, is going to be going in the NBA. Matthew Hurt, who's playing for Duke this year, who's now a sophomore, was a five-star recruit who went to Duke instead of Kentucky. Going to Kentucky, we're not going to have Matthew Hurt become a number one pick. Matthew Hurt made the right decision to go back and play college basketball again. There was no school. There was no situation. There was nothing that Matthew Hurt could have done to get himself eligible, to get himself ready to be a lottery pick in the NBA for his, after his freshman season. The same thing with Vernon Carey last season, another number one five-star uh, recruit for Duke. I mean, this is a guy you think going to Kentucky all of a sudden would have propelled him to be a lottery pick? No. No. No, 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 no. Chet Holmgren doesn't need to go to Kentucky to be a lottery pick. Jalen Green didn't need to go to Kentucky. He's in the G League right now. He doesn't need to go to Kentucky to be a number one pick. Kim Cunningham 
who's supposed to be the number one pick for the 2021 NBA draft by all the prognosticators. We'll see how that pans out as the year goes on. He doesn't need to go to Kentucky for that type of hype. So when Perry and all these other guys start talking about, yeah, you go to Kentucky, you'll be in the NBA. And yeah, believe me, if you're good enough to go in the NBA, if you're talented enough to go into the NBA, unless you, you know, murder your ex-wife and slice up the guy uh, bringing, returning the glasses to her, you'll be able to be drafted in the NBA at a pretty high mark. So please give me that, save me that bullshit, Perry, Sheila Perry, sales car, uh, uh, that used car salesman. A really good coach, but sometimes it's like, man, really? Really, we're going to go there with that? Okay, by Georgetown Hoyas, I'm ending with this. I'm excited. They have their non-conference schedule filled out. They're going to be playing 15th ranked West Virginia on December 6th. They're going to be playing, they're going to open the season November 25th against UMBC. That's Maryland, Baltimore County. UMBC, what? Returns four starters. 16 to 17. It's going to be a good game. They also are going to be playing Navy December 1st. They also announced the date for Syracuse instead of January 16th. It's going to be January 9th. And Georgetown's first five games will be played at McDonough Gymnasium without fans. Doesn't matter. Georgetown, when they play at the Cap Center, doesn't matter. Cap Center. When Georgetown plays at the phone booth, the MCI Center, they don't have anybody show up there either. So playing in front of nobody, they should be used to that stuff. Um, uh, I know, just a dig. Georgetown is going to be playing, as I mentioned before, its games at McDonough. A future decision on public events at Capital One Arena is pending D.C. governmental review. So, who knows when Georgetown might be playing at the, uh, caps, at the, uh, damn it, at the Capital One Center again. Um, you know, Georgetown's going to struggle this year. But the great news for Georgetown National Letter of Intent Day. All of the players that Georgetown recruited for the uh, 2021 season, which has them as in the top 15, 16 as far as recruiting for that class. Jordan Riley, Jalen Billingsley, Tyler Beard, Ryan Batombo. They all signed. They all signed. And I'm excited. Now, if we can get Aminu Muhammad. To come to our school, oh man, that's going to elevate us to top five. This guy has just been—he's been playing a lot of teams. I'm quite sure Georgetown's one of them. He won't—he won't show his hand anywhere in terms of where he's going to school, man. It's got me a little bit nervous, but I'm reserved. I got the guy. I've seen this kid Jordan Riley play. This guy's athletic as shit. We got ourselves Jalen Billingsley to um, um, replace Jamarco Pickett. We got Ryan Matumbo. Uh, who's a guy who's a top 100 four-star recruit. Um, This season is going to be about learning for Georgetown. And for those who are sitting up there talking about Georgetown's going to finish last in the Big East, I don't think they are. I don't think they're going to be finishing like anywhere in the top seven or eight. But I think they're going to do better than if we can get an entire season in which the chances of that are slim. But, you know, just taking that into account, I think Georgetown is going to be better than DePaul and um, St. John's. I think they are. I think there's going to be some guys who are going to uh, show out. I think Javon Blair is going to show out. I think uh, Don Carey is going to uh, play better than what most people are anticipating. I think Jamarco Pickett is going to step up his game. His whole summer, he's been talking about how dedicated he's been to improving and working out with Coach Couch and some of the things that he's been doing as far as developmental-wise. He knows that this is his last season in college basketball. And as far as all the players on Georgetown, this guy had the most talent to 
go ahead and play professional basketball and make the most amount of money. Uh, I think that some of the freshmen are going to play better than what most people anticipated. I think Dante Harris, who was an overlooked prospect, I think that he's going to do well. I think Jabari Sibley is going to contribute. I think when you take a look at guys like Colin Holloway, if you take a look at T.J. Berger and those guys, I think one of those freshmen are going to contribute in a positive way this year. One thing about Patrick Ewing in his first two years at the coach of Georgetown, he put five freshmen on the All-Big East team. James Akinjo was the Big East player of the year. James Akinjo was a guy who was ranked in the 90s, four-star recruit. Also, one reason why I like the Georgetown team so much, especially with this recruiting class, both for 2020 and for 2021, is if you take a look at Ewing's first couple of recruiters, of, of um, uh, recruiting classes, a lot of them came in terms of Georgetown with their second choice. They committed somewhere else, but something happened, so they decommitted, and then they chose Georgetown. So from right from the get-go, except for someone like a Josh LeBlanc, um, Georgetown wasn't their number one pick. Jamarco Pickett years ago, that wasn't Georgetown wasn't his number one pick. I think he was supposed to go to Tennessee or something like that, but something fell through. Matt McClone had first committed to Rutgers, and then the Dave Rice situation happened, so he decommitted. Um, James Akinjo was supposed to go to Connecticut, and then the Kevin Ollie situation happened, so he switched over to Georgetown. Now when you take a look at all of the recruits that Georgetown has for this year and for the year after this, all of them, first and foremost, went to Georgetown. Ryan Matambo, excited about going to Georgetown. T.J. Berger, excited about going, about going to Georgetown. Colin Holloway, excited about going to Georgetown. Dante Harris, really excited about going to Georgetown. Tyler Beard, really, really, really excited about going to Georgetown. So there is no second place. There is no, well, constellation prize with these guys showing their love, showing their support for Georgetown. And we as fans are going to give that love and support right back. So if Georgetown can finish somewhere around 500 this season, I think for Ewing, that will be a marvelous job. Knowing what he has, knowing what he has to work with, and the future is still bright with America's coach, Patrick Ewing, at the helm, especially with the players that he has coming in. And as I mentioned before, he's still in the running for a guy like Chet Holmgren. He's still in the running for a guy like Amin, uh, Aminu Muhammad, even though I think when everything is all said and done. I think Chet Holmgren's going to go to the G League. I think they're going to offer him so much money. If he goes to Gonzaga, if he, if he doesn't go to the G League, he'll go to Gonzaga. Jalen Ruggs, and I meant, Struggs, as I mentioned before, his teammate, when they played AAU basketball, he was good. Saw him in person, too. Uh, that same time I saw Holmgren, he was really good. So I'm just happy that, uh, you know, we're doing some things at Georgetown. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, man, I am done. I am out of here. Time for me to uh, go ahead and get something to eat. I want to thank you very much for listening to the program. Wendell's World of Sports. I told you, man, when I talk basketball, don't get me started because I can keep going and going and flowing like a river. So be safe. Be smart. Love each other. Care for each other. Be concerned about each other. Hey, man, we're human beings. We all, we're all that we've got. So, you know, be strong. Be safe. And if you're a good person, stay the way you are. Music.